everybody. Welcome. Ba -ba -da -ba. Or actually, you know what? I think the next sound effect we need to get is the Kill Bill sound. That one that's in every song that's been in every song forever. It's the, uh, it's this generation's um, uh, <clears throat> what's it called? Siren. Oh yeah, the air raid siren. Yeah. Well, that that one's really like good one too. We need some more announcement ones. I'm going to really once I get back from uh, what's it called? Hope and Defcon. I'm going to have way better audio setup for this. So we can have every single sound effect just go off at once <laughs> as we start. <laughs> Sweet. Um, but hey, everybody, thanks for joining us. Lovely evening here. Um, hopefully, are we, we're streaming, we're live, right? Yeah. We are live. Double checking. Um, um, so yeah, um, wait, everyone just, Go away. Yes, we're here. Cool. All right. All good. Yeah, we had a little. So I, I keep trying to do this thing where I segregate like the opening music from the uh, actual stream itself, and it sometimes screws up the view count and the chat and everything. So we'll find a more graceful way to do it soon. But yeah, everybody, thanks for joining us and uh, coming to hang out. So tonight's going to be really cool. We have a lot of really interesting things to talk about and some cool people coming on uh, later. We have uh, Soldier of Fortran, aka Mainframe D767 on Twitter, um, to talk about mainframe hacking. But the first order of business for tonight is to announce uh, the date and or the time and location of the exclusive Thug Crowd exclusive world premiere <laughs> of the movie Unfriended the Dark Web. Yes. So, oh, this uh, is so insane. Have you guys ever been following the story? Basically, we, we saw a movie that seemed pretty interesting. It was about the deep web and about the horrors of the deep web. And you know how there's lots of people that do you know, videos about the deep web stories from the dark web and, and uh, they talk about like, you know, contract killers and and uh, red rooms and things like that. And well, there might be some grand truth to some things. Um, I don't know. I feel like most people just really looking for that intrigue and mystery. So this movie seems to just really kind of play up all that. And so we thought it was really interesting and tweeted at them. And we're asking just for like a hoodie to give away on the podcast. And they ended up just giving us an entire screening uh, in a theater for like like a, almost like 200 people um, so in the middle of Manhattan um, to do a screening for us for free. So um, that being said, we're inviting all of our listeners who are here um, in the NYC area to come out. Uh, so it's going to be Friday, um, this Friday, the 20th. At The showtime is at 7.35 p.m. So we'll probably be there at around 7 um, to start. We're going to have uh, photos and things like that, too. I think that uh, someone said InfoWars is coming. Um, and it's going to be at the what? AMC Theater. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Back, up. Back up. Did you say InfoWars yeah. is going? <laughs> this is a rumor that I heard, but somebody tipped somebody off. So we'll see what happens. Wonderful. Um, so this is, so is going to be the largest gathering of dark web hackers that is going to be in one location. It's going to be at the AMC Empire Theater on 34th and uh, 34th and 8th. Um, so that's 312 West 34th Street in New York City. It's actually two blocks away from the Hope Conference. So we'll be there during the day. And then in the evening, after we eat a bunch of uh, Korean barbecue, we're going to uh, come over and watch this movie and 
hopefully get to see some interesting things happen. So also the, the other thing that we have to say is that we want everybody who comes and we really like, even if you are not in the area, we still encourage you to invite your friends to come uh, who might be interested because we want to have a lot of people dressed up the way that movie hackers dress up. So if wow. you can come in your Jinko jeans, your goggles, your yes. dreadfalls, mesh shirt. Rollerblades, please. I want to see some rollerblades. Roller if you have like four or five old ThinkPads, just bring them. Just start uh, booting up Linux on them. You know, uh, <laughs> Blackboard uh, CDs you can give out. We want to make this as ridiculous as possible because these people... They are really, I don't know. I, I feel like this is like this is the first time I've ever really done anything like this. Mm-hmm. And I think that because we've all been sort of throwing around ideas and really just trying to make this something that's really interesting, um, just from our perspective and sort of really own it, um, I think that if we can invite everybody that we know and everybody that would be down with doing something funny like this and just kind of uh, laugh watching uh, a silly horror movie together, it'd be really cool. We're not talking like we want like 20 of you to come we want like a thousand of you to come <laughs> like, well, like 200 seats but yeah exactly make it fucking <laughs> pandemonium though like people demand- still party outside yeah is, exactly this is you is, is there an rsvp process that people should know so the, there is no rsvp um but oh, i mean you can just say that the password is thug crowd or if somebody, asks, oh, if somebody asks you for it, the password actually is password with two uh, dollar signs for the S. So if somebody asks you, the this screening's ruined. Um, Yo, uh, you, uh, <laughs> do you have that to tweet out real quick? Because that is fucking rad. That's yeah, awesome. we're gonna be boosting that right now. And yeah, so we, we have a couple different tweets that we're gonna be coming out. Uh, I was trying to save the actual announcement for the show itself, um, and then at some point, if I can squeeze it in, um, I'll tweet it out during the. Uh, during the show, if not at the very end of the show, I'll just tweet it right out and then you guys can start boosting it. But we also found some interesting things that we aren't sure what, what's going on with them. There's a couple things like uh, some people are doing airdrop spam um, in regards to the movie. And so this movie, I think Wait, people what are... What does that mean? Uh, so people are kind of taking... taking now that, now that Thug Crowd has become involved, people are starting to, I feel, do more pranks or do things that are more sort of weird to try to get more people to come out to the movie with us. What um, is airdrop? So airdropping is uh, it's like how you transfer files between iPhones. Uh, it happens, you can do it you know, from your iPhone and, and uh, you know, send oh, files and things. Like so, tons of people. So there's people that are, some, some people, there's been, the thing is, it's weird. Is I don't know who it is, but there's people who are across the country in different parts of the country who have been airdropping people's like personalized names on um on what's it called like messages messages yeah they're pictures that, that have people's names on them and so we saw a couple tweets and somebody had tweeted something out i'm just like what the fuck so as soon as we started doing this there was hmm. a bunch of random weird stuff happening in regards to this movie and so i feel like people are kind of up in the ante to like get people involved to come see it so i'm really thankful for that but if you are <laughs> to do something uh just please do not do anything that would get you in trouble yeah yeah, yeah keep the the hacker known as thug crowd uh just stay <laughs> stay legal yes please yeah, and just like so for clarity though like how do you just do that like where's the best place to do it how how do you do it where's where's the place that we're seeing people complain the most 
Oh, we've seen people on Twitter uh, complaining about people spamming them on on trains. Oh, that's um, brilliant. So yeah, I think that that's really funny because I mean that's a pretty high density area, and if you're going to start spamming, I mean it's the same as like blue snar. Uh, was it is blue snarfing? Or there's a bunch of different blue prefixed things that are basically people spamming each other with uh, Bluetooth. But with AirDrop specifically, you see the picture in the um, <laughs> notification that says, hey, would you accept this? But you've already looked at it. So if it's like someone's like, you know, whatever, like weird ass picture, you've already seen it. So like, you can't, <laughs> there's no like, there's no like uh, process that says, oh yeah, no, I would like to see what this picture is for. It's just like, if yeah. it's like a penis or like, Whatever, like, you're gonna see it. There's a moment that you get it. Maybe. So, uh, to get a preview. So, yeah. So, I I think it would be interesting if more people just started kind of doing it, though. That'd be interesting. Uh, People could do it. People could, if you've had any other thing. I was telling people they should maybe set up a promotional onion site or something to like invite people, but who knows? I don't know what's gonna happen. Um, but I mean, it's all up up for grabs. I mean, this company is pretty cool, and they they produce like the Purge and Get Out and uh, Paranormal Activity and stuff. So they're like behind some pretty big campaigns and things. So I just think it's funny because now that we're doing this and we've gotten involved, there's just kind of up to the bar of like weird <laughs> pranks and like fuckery that can happen. So it's I'm really grateful. Really that. That's awesome, man. That's great. Yeah, it's telling yeah. everybody to load up Cali or Parrot. I'll say I'm worth it. <laughs> Wait, what? It's just load up Cali or Parrot when you get there. Just what be is that? that be that guy. Does Parrot like blast out uh, airdrop? No, no. Oh, it's just another pen testing distro. One worth checking out for those who haven't. I mean, if you were to blast out a bunch of Wi-Fi SSIDs, that would be pretty bad. That'd be pretty rad too. I mean, really, just any kind of guerrilla marketing, but you have to include Thug Crowd or else you didn't include the password. And yeah, you're Thug Crowd SSID, man. Open. Yeah. Anybody yeah. join. Come on in. The airdrop thing is just fucking hysterical, though. I, I think I saw one earlier and I think I retweeted it, but that's, uh, that's some next level stuff. <laughs> that's great. So, yeah, um, no, this is definitely going to be really fun. Uh, to play with so i guess if you have any funny ideas of how to just sort of get people to come out to this uh please just kind of go for it craigslist we aren't scared yeah <laughs> so one of the movie plots is about a uh a, a laptop that gets found um and somehow oh my God. i guess connected to the deep web but what's funny is someone said mentioned earlier if, if you had a laptop if you were like a deep web like like snuff film creator why would your MacBook not have a password? <laughs> Dude, yeah. uh, so this reminds me of the BZB book from Load Radio Hour and stuff. He, <laughs> there's so many possibilities. Like, you can just take it in any direction possible. Yeah. Oh, also, Amazing. Load might be there as well to hang out or say oh, hi or at least stop by and, and take a picture with uh, whoever. Alex That's Jones. Smart. Yeah. <laughs> Alex, <laughs> Alex Jones is there. I'm going to just. Basically, wow. I, I can't even say it. Yeah. I, I do recommend. Sorry, I I'm going to shit my pants. <laughs> I, I recommend watching that trailer. Inspiration to um, pile on to some of the interesting things we've seen. Uh, MG, you broke up a little bit. Watch which trailer? Uh, watch the trailer for this uh, this dark web unfriended movie. Uh, get some inspiration from. 
it scares yeah, me. One of the things that was really inspiring to me was the, the git diff of Samba's uh, reply.c. That was my favorite. It's like a quick flash, and then they, they log into the dark web. I think they use Samba to log on. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. This goes in well with the original tweet where uh, people hack uh, smart TVs and upload the data or the, the uh, images and movies to showdown.io. I think that's what first caught our eye. Yeah, uh, I mean, it is interesting. It's that's the first time I've ever seen Shodan used as a horror trope. So I kind of give him props there because I've never. Shodan is pretty scary. We do find scary shit on there. Sure. It's That's a, also where the Chinese are looking on the day to day. Keep that in mind. Um, to be honest, like I stopped a I stopped an attack on a default fucking database account. And uh, yeah, I went and looked on Shodan. And I was like, oh, cool. That's this server. That's this client. That's fantastic. No oh, shit. That's great. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's an interesting, uh, interesting times we live in. They're good times. They're profitable times, man, for people on both sides, for sure. I think it's a, it's a interesting idea for the movie. I heard the first movie wasn't really all that great, but the second movie seems to have legs. And I mean, it's, it's got the creators behind the purge. It's got like a lot of, a lot of interesting twists and turns i think it could make hopefully and i mean if the movie sucks then just throw your popcorn everywhere i'm just kidding don't do that you're not really kidding (laughs) do it do it (laughs) joking joking, uh, joking, i'd like uh, to welcome uh, mainframe d uh into our new segment uh he's here right now but if he maybe type in he totally can but just saying hi and welcome. So we should actually get into the news um, before we spend a lot of time talking about uh, the deep web. Um, so yeah, the first story that we have here, and the I'll post the notes again real quick in uh, our voiceless voice channel. Um, so the the first story I thought was pretty cool. Um, actually, Pike, you had mentioned that you might want to talk about it a little bit too. Um, so it's actually about the Girl Scouts that are adding badges. They're adding a bunch of new badges, and one of them is for cybersecurity which I think is really, really cool. Um, because there's, I mean, people talk about STEM, uh, what's it called? Like having, STEM. like, STEM. well, not just even STEM, having kids just grow up with classes about privacy and, like, about uh, how to protect yourself on the internet and how to, you know, do the cyber. And so having cyber like, you know, young young girls growing up with this and being able to, you know, have that, mindset going forward as a self-defense skill and as a just general sort of knowledge skill is definitely something i think it's really cool that they're teaching especially young girls too yeah i mean they're they actually are pretty vulnerable uh like small subsection of people i mean all, all the people that are fucking extorting and stuff yeah make them make them aware teach them and it's nice that someone steps in like the schools aren't going to do this thing. Someone has to, so it's a good place to do it. So, um, Australia's also got a similar thing. That's, uh, and unfortunately, the last iteration they used the hashtag #CyberGirls on Twitter, which I mean, you can see a lot of stuff about. <laughs> oh God, I can imagine. And I know. I felt really bad, and like, I actually contacted them and said, "Hey, this hashtag, you know, is also used by um the adult industry, or has been previously. Like, it's like if if you're like a little girl." 
like like and you want to learn about you, you're learning about this like quote cyber and i mean a lot of our older people who have been on irc know that cyber doesn't mean what it means now and um so you're scrolling down hashtag cyber girls like you want to see you want to know all the information you're like really interested in it like inquisitive people who get into the field are eventually they're going to stumble upon that so i hit him up and was like hey maybe cyber girls isn't the best thing to call the thing you're trying to teach little girls but maybe it is maybe it's maybe it's the hard <laughs> truth but no I, i'm just joking they shouldn't be like you know you shouldn't expose kids to that but like it's just kind of you know the internet is a horrible place yeah it's remind us what yahoo used to look like in the early 2000s do you think uh, Girl Scouts are going to start selling um, cookies with like HTTP only and secure flags? No, they're going to now just have be a green SSL lock. They'll, they'll come up and be like, they're "Delicious." They got to knock on the door and be like, "Hey, have you heard of JWT?" <laughs> it doesn't need a full sleeve though. <laughs> That's what the lock is for. It's for to limit you to two. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. This is where the the fucking sound effects come in. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> uh, so the next uh, topic that we have on our list is I was thinking about this being a fail of the week, but it's not. It surprisingly. Um, so this was the there's a motherboard article about um, the top voting machine vendor admits that it installed remote access software to systems it stole to different states. So. Yeah. After they're on record saying that they don't, so fuck them. This is like pretty ridiculous that there are is anything like this on a voting machine. Like, I understand the need for remote administration. That's not lost on I think anybody here. But the fact that you would put this on something that is one traditionally paper, and two, if it's not traditionally paper, it's put into something secure like physical record like say like a, a punch card or um, some other sort of printout that is then put into some other sort of secure stores that is then brought to some centralized hub. Where does a, a like a remote connection fit into that? And electronic voting. Ban it. I think a lot of these electronic voting systems are actually really old technology now. They're probably designed in the early 2000s. Haven't changed since then. They're created by the same companies that created ATM machines that are getting jackpotted left and fucking right. Yeah, the they same old be, school diebold. Yeah, diebold. They need to be taken off the market. Like it's, it's the only people that are for electronic voting are people that want to subvert the voting process. And that's as simple as that. Yeah, I, and I, the people I, that are making money out of selling these things to government, like ES and S and S and diebold and. And they're largely conservative-run companies as well, by the way. But I mean, yeah. like, so electronic voting could be a good thing in the future, like, if there's a way, a better way to manage it, whatever. Like, that's it's a possibility, right? So these machines, while they suck, maybe electronic voting won't be as so terrible, like subversive, like you're saying, Dan, in the future. But like with remote admin, like we already have SSH. We've had SSH for so long. Why are they installing like VNC or like PC Anywhere or like whatever they call you now, like logmein.com? Like it's un just unnecessary type shit, you know? Like, yeah, I, it goes like against everything they were supposed to be doing. They went on record saying that, no, don't worry, everybody. 
we're never going to do this. And then they fucking did it. In all honesty, they're just putting those type of software suites on there just because it's like the easy thing to do. I mean, you're trying to put yeah. bigger stuff out. It's just like you're hiring the lowest bidder to save money. Well, thanks. They made it really easy to hijack an election. Cool. So you got to think this is like this is incompetence rather than maliciousness. I mean, I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know either, but I tend to err on the side of humans being retards than humans being masterminds. I think humans are really really coming during the election. I would agree with that. I used to do uh, mentoring for PhD students that were attempting to build uh, electronic voting systems. And this was two years ago, and they were looking to make basically all of these mistakes all over again, but with insert buzzword here, technology or crypto platform. Yeah, blockchain and AI. It'll be blockchain cloud uh, voting next year. TensorFlow. Well, a lot of the, I mean, a lot of legacy or old school dinosaur kind of hardware has dumb shit like PC Anywhere or a dial-up modem or some kind of out-of-band management module thing installed that uses the POT system. It's pretty standard, but like Dom was saying, uh, Dan was saying, it's it's not usually public-facing stuff like voting machines and ATMs. They kind of should have a... It's it's all very well to have a, a, a SCADA device sitting in a power substation somewhere that's got some legacy out-of-band management interface. Yeah. yeah. There's some, no, that's bad enough. There's some reporting. But at least there's some physical security controls over those devices. This is public. Uh, there's some reporters think, covering it pretty in depth, and I think I think it would be interesting to have a conversation with them about what they've uncovered so far, because there's a lot of fucking crazy stuff going on. That I think there's going to be like uh, there's going to be a thing very soon where uh, we do get our blockchain voting machines, and the first thing that happens is a 51 percent attack. Oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, right. or they just start mining well, uh, fucking Monero for no reason. Well, there's, yeah. a, there's also there's also that, and there's how how far can someone flex before you realize, you know, even if we were to impeach or abolish, how fucking shitty we'd be. And I and I think that's one thing with the media that you see a hell of a lot of. That's pretty rough as far as the topic is. Someone can literally post this shit and say, "Yeah, we have remote access clients here," and nobody, you know. That's an eye. I mean, I guess I we do, but it's sad. This is this is another one of those scenarios where it, it's similar to the Mongo database whole thing, right? Like Mongo databases sat on Shodan for how many years, and it took <laughs> someone ransoming and fucking things up for people to listen, and they still yeah. haven't listened fully. Yeah, but they listened a little. Hey, and I the, think the slam a worm all over again. It seems yeah. to be the only way to actually co- to to cause people to take action is to to actual embarrass the company like cause them actual financial damage and mm-hmm. pr damage and media damage till they actually go oh shit okay uh that's not just a, a an airy fairy risk this is a real world thing we need to fix right now yeah, um, yeah unfortunately I mean, that seems to be the case like they're gonna have to get really screwed over not just nerds saying you shouldn't use pc anyway they need to actually get hosed before they do anything about it i, I would not be disappointed at all for somebody to worm something that just Fucking ransoms the uh, the voting machines right in the someone, middle. Of someone screen. else, there. right in the middle of an election. That'd be great. Yeah. Can you imagine just wanna cry screen popping up? Yeah, Kushva three point I'm here, dude. Yeah, it'd be crazy. <laughs> it would it would make a point though that this is not viable. This is a crazy path that we gone down, 
Yeah. The only reason the ATMs are as secure as they are, I mean, apart from uh, reducing theft, is because they have they have like compliance standards and stuff. I don't think there would be anything that applies to this hardware that says, um, you know, we've got a we've got a compliance standard that says no remote administration in production. Yeah. Do you comply with that standard? I don't know if there would be one that uh, that applies to this particular hardware. I think the really sad, unfortunate truth is both sides probably saw it and went, ooh, cool, we can game this. And both sides didn't do anything about it. And then oh, wow. all of a sudden, fucking another foreign country comes in and goes, okay, we'll do something about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's better like, at automation. I've built uh, like kiosk systems for like that are based on post terminals before. Um, that they're in the back of like warehouses and shit that do you know um, provisioning and whatever for routers and stuff. And uh, basically, like we just bought these post terminals, and all it is is like an atom board with like you know build like a BGA mounted CPU and then a stick of RAM and a hard drive. And our security measures are like, oh, let's just fucking super glue the hard drive in, like you know. Like there's there's not a whole lot to it other than shit that you already see. So it's like, how do you stop people ripping off your code? Oh, some super glue will do it. A bit of resin, you know, like whatever. I don't want to say too much on this because this this is an actual really bad topic. Um, <laughs> to pay attention on, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, hey, let's, let's <laughs> nobody that has any experience in this can actually can actually talk to it. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> same with so, ATM. Uh, let's uh, talk about the um, the well. This is something that kind of was old, but it got put out on CNET, so I decided to just throw it in there because we didn't we didn't mention it after somebody had said something about it. So the uh, basically people are saying that the Trump uh, Kim Summit USB fans don't have any malware, but like so people had I guess gone and, and researched what they are and what they're doing, but one of the things that I was thinking for I, when I first saw this was if they're just trying to get even one single person, you only have to have one, and you can have a hundred, two hundred ones that are completely benign, but you just see that one person with one that is bugged in any way. And it's just this, the, the fact that just giving away anything that plugs into your USB port, and something with to do with North Korea, I don't know, it just freaks me out still. And I, I mean, I, I, I guess I believe that it's, it doesn't contain any malware, but with the sophistication of like actual campaigns that are targeting people, they're not going to, like, they're going to do so tactic like that to be able to grab one person you know yeah the teardown definitely the teardown the one we saw definitely showed nothing like it was all straight straightforward but i mean if you look at a lot of the like uh nsa like um hijacking usps like cisco routers and implanting them and shit like they're, yeah. they're targeted right it's it's a targeted thing you're not gonna not every single cisco router that goes through usps has an implant in it yeah, if you saw the ant catalog, there's like, uh, you know, how many thousands of dollars for one of those kind of things? I mean, if, you know, if they're making and developing even one of those, it's going to be difficult and expensive to deploy. But, I mean, if you can ensure that the one target that you have has it, then that's, it makes it all worth it to just have a bunch of white label fans that say, like, Trump and um, Kim Jong-un. Right. And also, because it's such a weird thing to have. Like, like, there's no reason why anyone would actually want one of these. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I love it. It's hard to look for hardware implants. It's the only reason anybody would actually care about it. 
But if if, you, if you're gonna make a fan and give it out like of that size, wouldn't you just like what's the what's the price difference in putting the controller in there to like have it do USB C or a lightning or whatever versus putting a button battery in there that runs it for the day? I don't know. Yeah, it's trivial, right. for, especially it's for so Right. Yeah. Like such such a, such a low price to get a battery and not have all this hardware in there to like run the stupid thing. It's a it's a it's a motor with some blades. Like, put a battery. It's yeah. It's really easy for people to resell this shit too when you look at it. And it, to be honest, I think that anybody who's not Bluetooth who's not blocking USB storage is a fucking idiot. <laughs> Like if you're if you're gonna allow your your you know your place of business to get attacked like that, you honestly deserve it. That There's so much you. object and like user filtering that you can do. It's just it's infuriating. I want to agree with you, but it's hard, man. Like especially large enterprise. Like you got to think, especially with BYOD, bring your own device. People are bringing their personal machines in. That's a topic that's really dying out, though. Like, um, to be honest, like where I work for in private government, you don't give shit to anybody unless it's like domain drone and heavily mediated. It's the way it is. No, I don't know, man. Not not my experience, but yeah, I, I understand even, a lot of people aren't as good. <laughs> that's rough. Yeah, well, that's the thing, right? Like, I've worked for really good companies and I work for really bad companies, and the really bad companies are doing stuff that's just oh, like I mean, attitude. 802.1x, right? Like you, you bring someone brings their shit in, and they get dumped on a guest VLAN, and they can't do anything. Like, but how many people? How, I've seen it in the wild, like two or three times, maybe. 802.1x. Uh, yeah, like uh, yeah, that's about right. <laughs> One or two times, like it's not common. It there's a lot of corporations that are are wanting to move towards it, but the actual corporations that uh, or the actual amount of enterprises that I've seen successfully deploy something like that without it being just fucking ridiculous is minimal to none. Yeah, I think I've seen it more in private corporation than any sort of, um, you know, like, place that should have it. I've seen it. I've seen it successfully in power uh, industry, and that's about it. Allegedly. When you, but, yeah, when you think I, about it too, it's like, why are you using USB, whether or not it be like a backup device or any kind of transfer? Like, why the hell does somebody need that in the first place? What's theirs, like, property cross, to the company? To cross an air gap, man. <laughs> so, last time I flew on a plane with a USB port in the back, I had noticed that the, the same plane um, from my previous flight had had the two data pins removed from the USB port. So there's only uh, active and ground are the only two pins physically there, um, which is funny because USB killer still works, lol, hack. Um, but <laughs> taking the pins out is like, you know, the, the charging port in the back of the seat. That's a pretty good idea. Oh, definitely. The charger in the plane. Yeah, that's smart. That's good. So, um, the next one that I had that actually was pretty interesting, um, just understanding the scope of something that was going on. Um, we had heard about the Ticketmaster breach, and I think it was you, Shell, that shared this uh, about the basically like it has been found out that there is one single group that it was responsible for the uh, Ticketmaster breach, as well as apparently 800 different e-commerce sites around the world that have been targeted by this one single group called MageCart. And apparently what they've been doing is they've been, I, they didn't get into the technical details of it, but it's what they 
described as a digital credit card skimmer. Uh, basically, something that is uh, client side that is scraping um, credit card data from users as they use the websites uh, mm. in question. So this seems like it must be some sort of if they're they might be attacking a certain cart software or some certain framework for these kind of websites, but there's a documented 800 different websites that they have been doing this on. That's um, pretty, pretty ridiculous. Pretty widespread. Yeah, I so, actually. Uh, the first, the first plugin that they compromised was the Inventor plugin, which is a live chat JS plugin. Mm-hmm. And how many sites have that thing? Hey, what, do you yeah. need help with something? And then it connects you to a person. Or bomb so it's, or it's probably like not just uh, not just Ticketmaster. I mean, they might have been the biggest and most highly trafficked target. Um, I think we're going to. But it likely, there's a lot of undiscovered um, smaller e-commerce sites that have got nothing to do with this that also got hit. Yeah, it's apparently, client side JS uh, keystroke recorder. That's probably how it works. Yeah, that's what it kind of sounded like to me. Yeah, I've uh, I recently was looking at a site that had been um, uh, been attacked where um, it was like nulled plugins for e-commerce that for like e-commerce platforms that had been um, like straight up payloads in the top of the file and like developers are like oh, I'm not paying for that e-commerce plugin just install it and then boom done you're able. Uh, like it then infects every oh, other really? plugin and like persistence within web app like annoying. But it ended up being like a pirated thing. That's amazing. Yes, it's uh, it was null. It was like uh, in capital the plugin was like plugin name dash null. Wow. Oh, like that was just an example. Uh, this was it was uh, they're talking about how it was a supply chain it was just from uh, just third party vendors, third party suppliers of scripts. Oh man. So they, they, they set up like trust relationships for these third-party plugins like chatbots and stuff. Um, so security headers that we've added <laughs> into browsers and servers in the last few years just become totally moot because as part of the partnering process, you have to add an exception for third-party server.com to allow them to, to access your DOM. Otherwise, client-side JS wouldn't work to be able to capture keystrokes. Yeah, Wait, it just what? continues with like the theme of supply chain being like a giant like glaring weakness. It depends on the the site that you're able to to nail with cross site scripting, though, right? Yeah, I was just saying. Like, Both. Like if you can edit the uh, the code on say, I don't what, I don't know what it's called. Uh, social pl- social plus is the one that got affected in this breach. So oh. Ticketmaster pulls in Social Plus uh, JavaScript code from a Social Plus CDN box, mm-hmm. and they'd have to add some kind of um, cross-origin security header that says scripts on this domain can access information on star.ticketmaster.com. Yeah. Um, yeah. In order to be able to read from the parent DOM, in order to be able to do things like keystroke record, um, and and not be sandboxed within a specific DOM for that third-party plugin. Isn't it funny Can you, uh, how quick that got like just turned around? Like that that was a pretty solid security feature, but how quickly it just got abused by the actual developers to become just a security another security nightmare. 
Can you do like um like because with the CSP headers you can select scripts or images or whatever. If you if you, does anyone know just on the top of the head if you in, inject a uh, image which is your SVG which contains your payload does that still count as scripts or? That's still valid. Who, who knows? There's no still kind valid. of signing. There's no certification or signing of the code. So if it pulls a, a JS script from a trusted domain, it doesn't then check a hash to make sure the script hasn't been modified or anything. No, 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 but with an SVG, you can do, like, XSS with SVG, like an image file, right? And then in your CSP, you can be, like, images only can be pulled from this domain, not scripts. But then you would, being an image, it would still get executed, I guess, because SVG. No, I think not something a lot that the popular, or I, sh I shouldn't even say popular, it's far from, but I don't think it's anything a, a, the mass majority looks at. Yeah, it's something we should look at later. Oh yeah. Um, so speaking of compromised things in general, um, the npm uh, eslint compromise that just happened that made everybody freak out. Um, do you guys experience any uh, panics with this? With what? I think um, it's we always yeah. panic about npm, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh so, yeah. 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 Npm had a, a something that was basically. Um, Gaining access to people's npm creds through a compromised package, uh, and the, the, the payload, ah, uh, the the attack path was he compromised the developer's GitHub credentials. Mm -hmm. That seems to be a really fun thing to do lately. I got fucked over by this npm thing once, and uh, I probably won't be messing with it too much more after that. Yeah, I recall, like, like, I've mentioned this on the show before, but, like, I think it was uh, Bcrypt Yan, like, on Twitter, said that over 50% of, like, uh, NPM credentials could be hijacked, were, like, vulnerable to hijacking. So, seeing this is, like, not surprising. Yeah, not only that, but, I mean, like, you're, you're talking about uh, libraries that are so easily mistyped, or easily you think it has an S on the end of it, and it doesn't. It There's so many ways to just really... Like root your box. Didn't we talk about? Didn't we talk about like botting GitHub stars to get higher on NPM before? I'm pretty sure we've mentioned that oh, yeah. before. Not in a, uh, not in any specific context. No, but as, as an idea, as a, as a thought crime. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what I meant. Yeah, no, I think it'd be a great thing to think about. Well, I just can't. Every single week in our news topics, there is another breach of another distro or a software package or a package manager or something. And the root cause of that is GitHub credentials were obtained somehow. It comes down to, again, like you can, you can yell and scream about, hey, there's this theory that I have that you could typo squat or you could, you could do this and that with NPM credentials. And nobody's really going to listen. But if you start actually fucking up the code, people are, are going to notice way more. Yeah, and left zero pad or left pad or whatever it was that like uh, broke half of node. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to like absolutely advocate that just please slash and burn everything you've come across, but it really does seem to be effective in teaching. Yeah, do you guys think it's weird after like a Microsoft acquisition that this stuff happens? Like, to be honest, I do. With NPM? Really. Uh, no, GitHub in general. With GitHub yeah, as a whole. I agree. Wait, what, 
What did I miss? Well, just saying, like, they bought GitHub and you see all this stuff come out after the fact. Like, what do you think? It's just negative press or like inside exploitation for. I don't think there's any correlation there. I think, like, they said, there's a history of these plays, not anything new. Yeah. yeah, like, if, if you subscribe to, uh, like, if you've ever trialed GitHub Enterprise, you forever get updates on um, email updates telling you they've fixed security vulnerabilities. So GitHub are, like, actively finding bad shit all the time and fixing it. Well, that's, I think they might have got a little more attention after the acquisition um, from from even, like, bug bounty hunters and stuff. I know GitHub probably already had bug bounty, and that probably hasn't changed, but now they're in the Microsoft scope. Maybe that changes attention from or payouts, maybe. Payouts? Oh, yeah. Maybe the incentive's a little bit. Who knows? Aren't they blowing you know, their... If I was Chinese, I'd be looking closer at Microsoft right now just because of the acquisition. Yeah, Absolutely. Sure. Aren't they blowing their incentive, though, by talking about it publicly without disclosing it through a bug bunny program? True. But at the same time, if we yeah. if I find something useful that I can use for lols, I'm not going to tell anyone <laughs> about it. Right. Yeah, I hear that. Um, oh, yeah, but like, it's funny. They have been making efforts as well. Since the acquisition, they added um, like Python, like they check requirements.txt now for uh, Python vulnerabilities, like nested uh, stuff. That was added recently. But how does that work? So they scan repositories for like your um I can't remember I, I'm not sure what list of languages it is but like when you um have dependencies listed through the standard method for your language or whatever they um they actually check to see for like known if there's known CVEs in either your dependencies or a function you call or something I don't know exactly how they're doing it but you get um notifications that says hey this library that you use is like owned do something about it upgrade challenge. Yeah, put just just use every vulnerable library in like one repo and see how like yeah, self DDoS. Um, so an, another compromise um, of a something that a lot of people use. Um, so apparently, uh, Arch Linux was compromised as well, or a couple of packages in the AUR. Uh, basically, it was like the Acrobat PDF reader, uh, a couple other packages. Basically, just had one single curl dash s with like a script into bash uh, command that just was added to the end, um, and then just connect to some CNC server and run some commands and just check out your computer. It seems like it, it just runs like Pac-Man to see what's actually installed and uh, who uh, your user is and things. And so, yeah, I don't really know what the, the purpose of it besides maybe some sort of like uh, just figuring out who's using the package and then being able to do some sort of like second, third stage loader after yeah. that. But was it looking for anything? Like, has anybody actually gotten their hands on it and looked at it? Like, is it um, looking for something specific? I haven't, but if anybody does want to, you can go there. It, or actually, I'll just share the link in the uh, Twitch chat here. It's mm -hmm. um, basically there's like an Acrobat reader and then I don't know the other two. I don't know what these packages actually are, BALZ and MinorGate, but yeah, they're from the AUR though. So those are actually, those are things that aren't canonical. They're not like uh, standard Arch packages. They're from the uh, user repository. So it's kind of like mm -hmm. Git, you know, you can kind of put whatever you want on there. But I mean, the AUR, AUR Arch, Arch user repository, yeah. Yeah, so it has a lot of good packages on it that people use. Um, people like have other uh, 
ways of getting in touch with it. But yeah, so I, I don't know. It's definitely interesting to uh, another sort of uh, like actual OS sort of um, the repos, right? It's fucking crazy. Yeah, there was a Debian repo issue with the Romanian mirror uh, for like the past week now. I kind of wonder what the hell was going on with that. I never looked into it. See, the thing is with the like, I have this thing against rolling release, sort of for this reason. Um, a lot of people tell me I'm an idiot, but like, I'm, like being part of the uh, you know distro vulnerability lifecycle previously for non-rolling release distros, I can tell you that like things are tested and, and shit and like when you have this gap because you've got rolling release and then you've got like the you know this acrobat reader that needs it's like a it's a closed source thing it has a wrapper that installs some blob or whatever it's like maintained by a guy and the guy has to keep up with um you know with with his aur package same thing with launchpad like a lot of the um like ppas that you'll add for ubuntu or whatever like single user maintainers and things like that aren't necessarily they're just trying to keep up like there's, there's been, the security team's not actively doing stuff to make sure that you know known vulnerabilities that are being reported that have cves are like getting patched and not like code that's actually committed isn't checked because how like how many people do you need to do that I, I don't know i think it's dumb in the first place i think given adobe's history and like the exploitation process and what's happened with their products, I don't think it's smart to even run in the first place. Mm. Anybody who is like honestly probably deserves this. this. This is pure garbage. There's no point. Um, I wanted to just uh, mention one more thing really quickly before, or actually, we have two short things to do, and then we should probably just get into the uh, mainframe stuff because a lot of people are interested in in this. Um, you'd be surprised, mainframe. There is uh, a lot of people here who want to actually hear what you have to say. Yeah. So um, I wouldn't be surprised, but it's uh, interesting that there's a lot of people who came specifically to Twitch to see this. So it's pretty cool. Usually people go to conferences and, and to see um, something of this sort of uh, topic. So yeah, um, just funny. Um, here's a link to the uh, indictment for the special counsel, our Mueller, uh, and the 12 Russians. So just in case anybody tells you that Russia didn't hack something, they did. Um, and then the fail of the week, I think, is just funny. I want to throw in here. It's the last thing on our notes. Um, so apparently these people who had made some ransomware just sort of had a, uh, they got kind of salty after somebody said that their ransomware was a scam um, and stated that they weren't paying people or they weren't actually decrypting people's files uh, after they ransomed them. And so they took offense to this on Twitter um, and just sort of like had a little blowout about, what they're doing and how it's not a scam, even though it's it's fucking ransomware and it is a scam. It's just extortion, but it's not extorting in the particular way that they want to be described as having done. I think this is hilarious. But <laughs> somebody is defending their craft of ransomware. Oh, it's good ransomware. So if you still find ransom, I mean, this this reminds me honestly, if if I didn't see this on Bleepy Computer and I saw this as a write-up on a website, if it said buy lolcow, I would completely because <laughs> this is something that you would do. Number one, I love this alias because they, they definitely followed through being Ouroboros <laughs> yeah. in their own tail. <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting to see that the, the state, I mean, because what I think is interesting is that nowadays we, we have things like the zoo and we have other sorts of repositories of uh, 
malware that people can just download. I mean, you can get um, the full source for the Jigsaw ransomware in C-sharp that has the full solution file and everything. You can just run in Visual Studio and compile your own ransomware. You just got to change the Bitcoin address and the uh, text and make whatever you want out of it. So there's, I feel like there's, we're getting to a point now where there's just, it's like people are just becoming ransomware script kitties that are just going out there and, and making this kind of shit and then like bringing their childish antics along with it. It's just, it's really crazy to see. I mean, Zeus and like all those others, like all that we've seen over the years, same thing, right? Like there's so many variants because the the source code got shared to like some kids. Yep. And then they sold, like a, they had a, a special encryption routine or something and then resell it to something else. They're and all they're, kids. Uh, like they're all literally like either children by legally children or they have the mentality of children. And that's pretty standard across like the carding scene, the ransomware scene, the virus scene in general. Plain text CNCs, like plain text CNC credentials. That's all. That's what it's all about. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll share this into the uh, chat as well. This literally this year, if you are interested in malware research or if you're interested in um, just seeing how people are actually doing this, this here is like. The compilation, there's there's both originals and uh, source, and people, if you ever want to see how it actually works and how these people are deploying this really shit code, um, yeah, this is pretty much what you're up against in terms of a lot of the shit ransomware that you'll find on Twitter. But yeah, and I also really would like to apologize to White Hat Sec, who I guess has been muted and is talking, and I didn't know, so I'm really terribly sorry for that. Oh, yeah, if you're muted and you can't talk and it wasn't us, uh... Just keep reloading Discord. There's probably an issue with WebRTC. Yeah, there's also been issues as well with Discord getting uh, issues today uh, with Google Cloud and stuff. So, yeah, I was actually concerned that it was going to be um, available for tonight. There's actually a lot of people muted now that I'm looking at the stream. That's crazy. Probably a good idea to start talking about secondaries just in case Discord just flat out fails. Wait, what? Yeah. Probably something just kind of over later. Start talking about secondary, uh, pretty much means of communication, just in case something fails. No, we have to put everything in a single point of failure. Yeah, live a little. Come on, it'd be fun. Literally, we do it live. <laughs> this is like the email of fucking uh, podcast. It's amazing. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, mainframes. You're. I don't know how to, what to call you exactly. Soldier of Fortran. Each everything is very dramatic, so I'm like, I don't want to like under underwhelm. I mean, you can just call me Soldier of Fortran, or I mean, either or works. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's the second one? My name. I mean, it's uh, it's okay. not a secret anymore. It used to be, but it's you not really. A... I'll just call you Soldier. No, yeah, you can, you can <laughs> call me whatever you want. I mean, sure, I don't care. <laughs> well, welcome. Thank you so much for joining, and thanks, White Hat Sec, even though we couldn't hear you at all, um, or White Hack Sec. Um, thank you guys for joining us. Um, so yeah, I mean, we're really interested in, in this whole space here, and I know that you do a lot of talks and trainings, and I kind of just wanted to give you a little bit of time to sort of like introduce yourself to people who might not know who you are. Yeah, I mean, so... I don't know. It's kind of it's kind of hard to. In, I hate introducing, um, but basically, I started out. I was a 
a mainframe sort of novice. I was, um, I used to be an auditor for a big four consulting firm. And I had a deep, deep Linux background. And so <laughs> when I joined the big four consulting firm, they were like, hey, you should go. And I literally knew dick about mainframes. They were just like, here's a, here's a checklist and go do this. Um, and it wasn't until, about, I want to say maybe 10 years later, I joined Visa, the, you know, the credit card company. And, and we hired, a, we, we brought in a company to help us with mainframe security audits, like to do a real, like, like I was, I was kind of sick as an auditor. I was sick and tired of like these sort of high level bullshitty kind of mainframe audits. And so, so I worked real hard on, on trying to really, really put the Visa mainframes through their paces in terms of a real security audit. And so we got, we brought in this consultant and this guy was billed to us as like a mainframe expert, the best in the world. And dude didn't know net stat from his asshole. It was just the worst. And so at that point I realized that this space had no one like in terms of mainframe hackers, mainframe pen testers, there was really no one who was doing this. And then you, then I looked and I, I, I specifically, DEFCON, SHMUCON, all these conferences, right? Black Hat, whatever. There's no mainframe talks. And until I started talking publicly about this, there were literally no, as far as I'm concerned, until maybe last year, there's only been one mainframe talk at Black Hat, and it was me, right? And, and when you look at this platform, right, like everyone who's in the stream, everyone who's listening, is a at some point. It may be in the last 24 hours even, that goes through a mainframe. If you do any banking, if you bought jeans at the Gap, if you rode a plane, that all goes through a mainframe. These systems are systemic to our financial, manufacturing, all kinds of like enterprise lives, but no one's fucking talking about it. So it really bothered me, and so that's why I started doing what I do. And it's to this day. Like It's not like... Hey, this was an issue. It was an issue until 1990, and now it's not anymore. But I still like these for some weird reason. It's oh no! Uh, fucking absolutely in use today. If if you look at at the stuff that IBM puts out, you look at the documentation IBM puts out, and and don't get me wrong, I won't shit on IBM too much. You look at oh, what man. IBM puts out. They don't sponsor and, us. Is it? No, well, they don't sponsor me, but you look. They say something like 90 to 95 percent of the Fortune 500s run a mainframe, like a ZOS mainframe, which is what I focus on. Yeah. Hey, I that's... do have the first question really quick, though. Oh, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, go ahead. Do You said they don't know uh, TCP dump, right? Yeah, Does what TCP about it? You don't run on ZOS? <laughs> so so the, the software itself doesn't, but ZOS comes with its own sort of TCP dump. Like, you can dump the TCP packets, and you can dump it into a TCP dump formatted file that you can so, then just read in Wireshark. I think that's a really interesting way to kind of lead into the, to the mindset of mainframes. It's not your typical just Linux mindset. Like there's, there's this crazy almost level of abstraction, right? Yes and no. I think, I think that the challenging part for people to, to realize is that like and, and this is something. So I, I have a I have a partner in this uh, big Indian Smalls on on Twitter. Um, oh, you really? And if, if, if you ever hear the two of us talk, we've been we went to RSA. We talked about this. We talk about this. Every, it's literally just a computer. 
right? So it's it's no different than a Linux box. It's no different than a Windows box. It's just a computer. Okay, yeah. So some of the things that the computer does might be a little different, and the way you call those things out are a little different. But it's literally just a computer, right? So the same concepts apply. Do buffer overflows work in ZOS? Well, yeah, of course they do, right? It's a von Neumann architecture. But yeah. that doesn't mean that doesn't mean you don't have to do pen tests on it because it's different, right? Yeah. I think you and don't so, do pen tests on it because nobody knows how to do it. <laughs> well, I mean, but that's like saying that's like saying we don't do we don't do pen tests on our voting machines because no one knows how to do it. Well, or we're not true. willing to pay the people who can do it to do it. You know what I mean? Like it, that's it's, what we're up against, you know? <laughs> but, and, well, I, and, and, so, and so this is something that I fight against is, is uh, so, okay, so I'll, I'll quote my buddy, Big Indian Smalls again. Um, he did, so there's a real great podcast called Terminal Talk, and he was, he was part of their security part of that, that, that podcast. Not to pimp another podcast on a podcast, I'm sorry. And so okay. on that, he said, not pen testing your mainframe with a professional pen tester who can do mainframe is like telling your doctor you don't want to have a stress test because you might have a heart Having a heart attack that. at the doctor's office on a treadmill is probably the best place to have a heart attack because at least, A, you know you're going to have a heart attack, and B, they're equipped to fix it versus having some rando come in, some malware come in, and take down your entire you know, point-of-sale system because you didn't update your mainframe in time, right? I mean, that, that to me is the nightmare, right? Like, like mm -hmm. some malware gets in and takes down a mainframe at Target, right? But, and, that, and that, that could happen. We don't know, <laughs> right? Um, there was, no lie, this, okay, so this really happened. I was in front of people from, I won't name the company, but they make the mainframe. And I was in front of them asking, are you aware of any breaches that ever happened on the platform? And they looked me right in the eyes and said, no, and at like the same time in Sweden, a breach was happening of a mainframe, like at the same time, right? So, so these platforms aren't impenetrable. No, of course they're, not. They're just people just aren't aware of how, how systemic they are to our environment. And, and people have been taught, I guess, just through ignorance in schools, they've just been taught that these are old and dying and you don't need to worry about them because they're a legacy platform and no one's using them anymore. Right. Yeah, I, I guess I don't even know if it's necessarily that people are being taught don't worry about them. It's just it's it's I've been in a class where the first half of the class for the first year or two we learned AS four hundred and RPG programming and all that, and it's so fucking boring, dude. It's just it's horribly boring, <laughs> <laughs> right? And like so, when you're able to like. Put that aside and all of a sudden you can wind nuke your entire school all at once and blue screen everybody's machine and, and have fun i think that's where some I'm, of it comes in fun i'm gonna right? i'm gonna quote an old co-worker um of mine at visa um when he said so he quote. used to he, he i'm gonna steal it straight up he used to Sweet. onboard intern he used to say exactly what you're saying who cares the mainframe is boring and, well, and, it is boring it's not right it's not that it's not useful though and, and he said and he said look you want, if you want to go play with a system that'll interrupt the HR people and make their lives hell for a couple of days, go for it. If, yes. if you want to cause a global international collapse because you fucked up, come join my team. If you can't handle that pressure, that's fine. I get it. But the reality is when, 
when you go and you fuck up with a bunch of Windows machines on down Sony for a couple of days, who cares, right? Sony's still making movies. They're still making games. You bring down the gaps, or like worse, you bring down Walmart's mainframe environment. You're causing people to not get paid their paycheck that week. You're causing people to not get their whatever, their frosted flakes because of their just-in-time inventory not showing up. Defcon two years ago, like uh, three years ago maybe, Delta's uh, mainframes went down at the end of Defcon. And I was stuck in an airport for three days. So here's what's funny about that story. What I've heard rumor is the mainframe was up. So this, is, so, so this is my favorite story from that. So Delta, Delta lives and breathes by their mainframes, right? That their whole flight, entire, their, their entire flight infrastructure, so I'm told, right? I've never been on their environment. Their entire flight infrastructure is mainframe-based. But they have this, like, nice web-based interface to let the millennial people use a web interface to, like, push planes back from the gate and get people checked in and all that shit. The middleware of that interface that talks to the mainframe went down. That's what caused the outage. The rumor was, is there were still a bunch of like old time, you know, old time gate, gate agents who knew the mainframe system still. And they logged into the Delta mainframe and got their planes pushed back despite there being a quote unquote global outage. So, yeah. this, so that problem is, so, so this is how important this, this, this platform is to, to various enterprises right is no one is hosting their like web their mail server on a mainframe right mm-hmm. like if email goes down for a couple for like an hour or two eh, everyone is more productive for a bit right who cares but literally when mainframes go down it's in the millions of dollars of costs to companies it makes international news yeah hey zufa you had something yeah, I was going to say, I've worked in finance and I've worked with mainframes specifically, and it is a dying breed. And most of those people who are actually like core to it have died in the past 10 years. So I was going to say, like, what's the, what's the mitigation process? What's the migration process? And why isn't this more of a focus? I guess I can see why from you coming into us as hackers, like it's more of a general vast population and there's more of like a service level attack given. But um, I was wondering from your standpoint, do you tend to steer towards something more not mainframe focused or is your focus just mainframe specifically? I mean, there are seven of us, I would say seven of us in the world who do mainframe hacking. I I want to interrupt you real quick and that's why I'm not surprised. Like I'm saying like, that's why, that's why I say this is like a dying fucking software is because like I said, like most of these people have died in the last 10 years and I've talked to like a lot of really smart older people who just, you know, there's not much of a team and there's not much support around it and it's really rough to see and there's no real focus around that as an attack. Though. Like, I've so never, bad, I've man. been on mailing lists my whole life. Like, I've been on, like, I'm, I'm an older guy, but I've been on mailing lists for a long time. Um, and I've never been on a mailing list where there are people on the mailing list who have died off. Just from old age. I've been on mailing lists where someone yeah. dies off or ODs or whatever, but I've never been on a mailing list where someone just died because they're old. Well, okay, maybe until died, I joined, but they've retired though. There's no, this absolutely is like, people that are retired from the mainframe era. Absolutely, no, th- there are people did. on the mainframe mailing list who have died of just old age. Okay, just straight up, like that's how like it's a dying breed, right? But yeah. the problem is your enterprises aren't getting rid of the platform. 
Right. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, do you do you introduce something that's like a migration to move them to, or do you say like, hey, this shit is old. Like we have a dying breed of people, or we have like a dying um, focus, whether or not that be the right term. But is there something that you guys present, or do you just tend to develop on the same exact mainframe they've been using? We so so the challenge is no one no one's moving off this platform. They've already put in. They've already got their RO. Right, like they've like tenfold. The platform has something like six or seven of uptime. They're not getting rid of it anytime soon. And there's a huge. Uh, this is from IBM and all the major corporations that support the platform. There is a huge push to get new talent in to help support the platform. But to help support an antiquated platform. And I mean, I'm not it's trying. Not to come antiquated down though. IBM released the new architecture last year. I mean, it's antiquated. Like, you got to admit it's antiquated. And I'm when not saying that. When you say it's antiquated, do you mean the same way that 2012 is antiquated? Because it's I'm based not, on Windows sure. NT? Yeah, absolutely. 2012. And it's running on like an X, news. like an Intel architecture? Like, what do you mean by antiquated? You just. 2012 is was, old news. You're absolutely right. Oh, 2012. Right. Okay. So, server 2018 is antiquated then. Because there's probably portions of the NT kernel still in the 2018 kernel. No, that's well, not what I'm saying. Okay. okay, so I what do you mean by antiquated? What What do you mean by, does it mean antiquated the I mean, original antiqu- operating system is antiqu- old? Antiquated in that you can count the amount of experts, as you say, on less than two hands. So I, think, that's not, I mean, you could count the number of experts on two hands for like systems. I think you mean our I'm not for, trying to come at you, by the way. I'm no, not trying I know, to I say know. this negatively. I'm just trying to say. I'm taking look, this very personally and I'm super <laughs> upset right now. I don't, I'm, so I don't, I'm going to break my laptop. <laughs> no, this is, I'm glad. Why? No, no, I don't care. No, no. I think hey, I think the true. reason I, I don't I don't get a, I'm not upset. I'm just saying this is the argument you, we deal with in the mainframe space a lot, and not just from a, a mainframer's perspective, right? Like I hate. God, this is sounds so this sounds so terrible. I hate taking the mainframer's like stance, right? <laughs> but the, the challenge is, you deal with a lot of bias in this space that it's old. Sure. Right, but, and it's part of it, right? But it's only old in the same way that a Cisco router is old, right? A, a Pix five. No, I mean like a current, a, a current Cisco router. Okay. Right. If you if you bought if you bought a current Cisco router today, right? Like whatever that platform is. Sure. It's a can brand I, new hardware, a brand new question? architecture. Yeah, go for um, it. Um. Just thinking as someone who may or may not have owned a mainframe or two in his time, uh, how do you interface with your mainframe operating system? How do you, do you SSH, do you Telnet yeah. to it? Do you have a web interface? Do you have a client application? All, all, all of them. I mean, I, I generally use, so when we teach the class, so Big Any and Smalls and I teach a class on, on mainframe pen testing. In fact, I'm teaching a workshop at B-Sides Las Vegas if you're interested. But I use, generally I use SSH and TN 3270, which is like built on top of Telnet. Right. So but, when I go after, if I was to try and own a mainframe or a corporation using a mainframe, yeah, I would probably own the guy that connects to the mainframe. I would own his desktop machine and... Uh, I don't even go that far. It doesn't matter from that point uh, what operating system the mainframe is using, although all the 
security controls of the operating system at all because I have management yeah. access to the device. Um, so, I, I, so maybe I that's to... why people don't really focus so much on the deep dive into the mainframe operating system. So because it's funny. It's, it's, a, it's like an embedded Linux device or a printer or whatever. I'm not going to spend all my time learning the ins and outs of a printer's operating system uh, when I can just own the admin's desktop and have an SSH key straight to every single printer on the network. Yeah, I mean, so that's that's something that I hate to keep bringing up, but Big Any and Smalls made a great point. He gave a Basically, what he says is, I don't need to break into your mainframe. I just need to break into your admin's computer. So I don't need to be a hacker. I just need to be you, the admin, right? That's and, uh, the same thing as, like, I hunt sysadmins back in the day. Yeah, but that's like, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's no different than than me hunting like people who right. manage other applications. Or so there's right? a couple of thousand of guys in the world that are that are super gun engineers at smart meters, for example, and the operating yeah. system they use. And you can count on two hands the number of people that could actually say they hack smart meters and know mm -hmm. a lot about it. Um, and that's how I kind of think of, of mainframes as well. Yeah, but we, so, so the, the challenge is, and this is something we've talked about really, is, and it's something I struggled with when I first started doing this, is like I remember there was a derby talk. I was super stoked. There was a derby talk. I don't mean to slam on the guy because the talk was really good, but the talk was I owned a mainframe. And I was so pumped because I'm like, this is actually legit the only talk that I have not given about mainframe hacking at a major conference. And so I, I eagerly waited for the live stream and I watched the talk. And the talk was 45 minutes about this guy phishing and social engineering a mainframe admin. And the end of the talk was, and I got his creds, right? And so what? So you got, but like, but to me, so what? So you got the creds, right? right. right? That's like, so, that, so. That, that's like very early two, 2010s, maybe early mid 2000s thinking of like, okay, so I got domain admin. The enterprise doesn't care. Like the enterprise business owners don't care. So, so what? So you have access to the mainframe. Maybe but what, from this what do you do that? after that? Maybe take it from this point of yeah. view. What um, what other ways have you owned mainframes that are are directly because you've owned mainframes? Like take us take us through the technical uh, hurdles that you had to get through to own an actual mainframe. So that uh, might kind of open our can, minds a little bit. Can, can, can I add to that? I'm enjoying the discussion, by the way. I love this. This is my favorite, like like blowing minds. Um, everyone everyone probably remembers struts. Sure. Right. Yeah. Like that's. So Hang that's on, one a, second. Yeah, yeah, go. Uh, one, MG, what'd you got? Oh, yeah, I, I just wanted to uh, add to exactly what you're asking um, with a, a slight refinement. This would probably help the whole scope of the conversation. So with traditional servers out there, Linux boxes, the most common things people are fucking up is not patching, leaving S3 buckets open, things like that. What are the equivalents within mainframe space to kind of contextualize this? What are the biggest fuck-ups that everybody's doing? So, okay, so, so one, I will say, is the biggest, so, so you got to remember, mainframes haven't been publicly pen tested, like, and anyone talking about this since, like, maybe three years ago. So until three years ago, even someone publicly talking about it was a no-no, right? So, so the maturity there is, is kind of lacking. I can say with certainty, probably 90% of the time, a password spray will get me in, right? We're to still... Mainframe. Yeah, the mainframe. So, like, like the, 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 yeah. So, a lot of times, enterprises. So, so in, uh, I don't want to get too much into the weeds, but basically, the main interface in the TS to the mainframe 
like the main like I want to say bash prompt maybe is is TSO. By right? the way, you and can the, you can get in the weeds, man. Oh, okay, like, that's, that's fine. What so, oh yeah, go for so the main the main interface, have... the main like command line I will say is TSO, which stands for time sharing uh, time sharing option. Okay, right. And and so you you log in through TSO. But the TSO login panel, think of it like a login page almost, right? Like a web interface. It suffers from user enumeration. So you can enumerate all the users who have access to TSO. So once I get a username, I can enumerate the entire user space Not most of the time. And from just, there, uh, a quick question to interject. Yeah. What are you using, like Python, Perl, just NMAP. regular stuff, I wrote, right? I wrote an NMAP uh, right? TN3270 emulator. Okay, nice. <laughs> And then in Lua, in fucking Lua. Yeah. So so I wrote I, I, I wrote it. Yeah, well, so I wrote it. So the whole concept that, that Big Eddie and I share, like Big Eddie and Smalls and I share this concept of you shouldn't have to come to us for the tools. The tools should come to you. So if you have Kali right now, so all the listeners, if you have Kali right now, an updated version of Kali comes with a TN3270 emulator in Nmap. It has been there for like two years. Damn. There, there's a whole bunch of TN3270 scripts. So there's a TSO enumerator, there's a brute, there's a Kix enumerator, Kix brute, Kix user brute. There's all this kind of stuff that's just included as part of Nmap so that you wouldn't, it would just be there when you need it. All right, let right? me ask the tough question. Yeah. Are there any views on Shodan that people might or might not be able to mess around with? I mean, I won't, I won't say you can mess around with that. But there yeah. are mainframes on Shodan. In fact, if you look, shit, I can't remember. There's a there's a Shodan Telnet type. I can't remember that off the top of my head. But there is a there's a Shodan. Well, there are mainframes, but they're not on Shodan. So on Shodan, if if you do, I think TN. So one of the options in T, in Telnet is TN thirty two seventy E. And if you pass Shodan that Telnet option, it'll show you all the mainframes that it's found that reply with TN3270E as the reply, right. right? So like if you know the Telnet handshake, it goes like, you know, you connect and then you do like an IAC. Like, so what happens is a mainframe will say, oh, IAC do TN3270E. And then you say, yeah, I'll do that. So right? really and that's an option. Are, you really are looking at it from the protocol up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so... Um, so if you look at Shodan, you can find them. Or if you go to my website, which screenshots on Twitch, um, if, if you go to my, like, I think I can't remember. Second. What's your site? Right, that's a great question. Uh, mainframes <laughs> project. I got to look it up. Mainframesproject.tumblr.com. We'll I'll, I'll send it. I'll put it in the chat. Um, Tumblr. Like, All right. I mean, I use Tumblr because it's, uh, let's see. There we go. I'll put it in the voiceless chat. Uh, so. <laughs> But but essentially, that project came out. I'm curious what's out there because people would tell me that that our mainframes aren't on the internet, and I'm like, well, that make that makes sense. Like, why would you put your mainframe on the internet? It, that's not what I would do. And then I have found almost 600 to 700 mainframes at this this point that are like, internet facing. I like finding. So um, just to pull it. <laughs> sorry, Dad. Just to uh, pull it, just just like back a little bit. I want to just sure. like quickly like. So the first time I was in a knock, like when I was really young and I'm walking through the knock and I, I see all the racks of, you know, whatever's. And um, then I see like the mainframe separately and I look at them and there's these big IBM motherfuckers and <laughs> it's the heavy metal, you know, and um, 
I, I got told, like, uh, I got asked what the what this big red switch on the front was or whatever, and um, I said, oh. that's the power switch. And the guy that I was with said, no, no, that's the career reset button. Yeah. Um, <laughs> at, at that point, that was basically like my, holy fuck, I don't want to touch this shit. And that yeah. was really intimidating to see this huge metal box that I don't know what's inside, um, but it does computer. So gonna, compared to I'm like an average, your mind. tell um, me what's inside. So, so that box is literally just CPU and RAM. There's not even hard drives in there. What happens if you press the button? I mean, you would bankrupt a company. You would cost them millions of dollars that day. Sweet. It's fine. It's, it's you know, it's not I different mean, than shutting down a warehouse. Do anybody else. That's why my card doesn't work. God damn it. <laughs> like, like, you joke, but that is what that button oh, would do. I'm not joking. Like, I'm telling you the truth from experience. I know. <laughs> like, like um, in, in, the, in, the industry, in, the, in the mainframe hacking world, um, which is very small, we don't tend to touch production systems because the what? outages would get us invited to Congress. Wow, really? Holy right, shit. like so you're you're relying on an organization to have a proper staging or dev environment. Oh, the the one advantage of the mainframe world is guaranteed if someone has one mainframe, they have because they're not gonna they're literally not gonna develop on. They just won't. It's too it's too costly. Yeah. yeah so I'm they'll have a dev system. They'll have a test year. system. They'll have they'll have a sandbox system. I mean, that's just the way it is. Man, yeah, right. and all, all the telcos running. Yeah, the, oh, there's so many, so many major institutions that run on these. It's amazing. Yeah, so I mean, what about what about no. when you like uh, have hardware failures and stuff like that? Like, if you if you lose a mainframe part that is like a mainframe that's been running for ten plus years, like, mm -hmm. what's the sort of DR? Like, is it? Uh... So that's not really the case, right? So so these these this hardware gets swapped out maybe every three to four years. Um, and you don't really, you're just basically borrowing it. You don't, like, I mean, you can buy it, but no, no real enterprise does it. You just sort of borrow it from IBM. Um, you lease it, right? And then you replace it every handful of years. And then the software, um, the software itself, they have a, re a major release, I think, every other year, right? So right now we're, they're on version 2.3, which was released last year. And it supports, like, KDFAES, and it supports all kinds of, like, modern, stuff um but in terms of like if you have a hardware failure it is it is super fault tolerant so you can be mid-process a transaction on one cpu and if that cpu dies you it'll it'll switch over to another cpu and you can hot swap that cpu out and replace it what uh what mark well like what architectures are we talking about like there it's, not it's, just x86 risk it's, it's not x86 it's risk uh, but it's specifically z architecture and if you what, want what to, you can, it, it's an, it's a proprietary, it's not, I mean, you can read about it in the presentation if you wanted to, but it's a, it's a CPU built and designed for mainframe operations. Looking at the, um, looking at the NSC lib for TN3270, um, I'm just thinking from a network attacker's point of view, what would we be looking for to identify, um, like a Xeos operating system. I can see from the NSE lib that uh, the Telnet banner is not subtle at all. No. Um, so um, are other interfaces, do other interfaces exist? Do they support SSH? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so it'll be, SS I mean, it's just SSH, open SSH. So you can't really tell if you're running, it. like if, there, if you see an open SSH port, you can't really tell if it's mainframe or not, right? That's not. Can just, the NMAP it, fingerprint the OS? 
So so Nmap Nmap can can sometimes fingerprint it. I've, I've had challenges helping. So so if you look at the profile for Nmap, right? So if you look at the if you look at the profile and you look at so if you look for um, TN3270 and you look for Kix Web and you look for Network Job Entry NJE, I added those manually to the profile. Like I did a Git pull request uh, working with the Nmap people to help get those added to the library, right? right to help cool. get that support in there. Um, before 2015, or maybe 2016, I would say, um, it used to call it OS 390 for some reason. But if you do a scan and you hit, in fact, does anybody remember the internet set circa like 2014, maybe 2013? Uh, I think you cut out, man. What'd you say? The internet census. Anybody uh, remember that? I mean, it's pretty ongoing, actually. So, well, I mean, like the original one, like the first one of telnet routers and stuff like that. Anyways, um, they they published a list of all the F, like all these ports, like these general ports. Oh, um, so they published this list that was like of all these various ports, and one of the port was FTP. And the FTP port, if you look at it, mainframes is very specific. It will tell you down to the version of the operating system that it's running over FTP, right? Now, it, can, it supports FTPS, so it's not like your standard, like, haha, clear text FTP server. So it'll support FTP over SSL, and that's fine, like, cryptographically speaking. But what's interesting is, is using that in a sense as you could find maybe six, 700 mainframes that are in just yeah. based on that one port, just based on FTP. So, so but, yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry to cut you off, but if you're on an engagement, like you mentioned one really big thing, which is uh, password and credential uh, guessing and, and sweeping. Uh, that seems scary, but it also seems kind of predictable, right? What, um, what are some of the more exotic things that you've come across that you've been able to own mainframes with? I mean... It, it's the it's the fundamentals. Uh, I'm not. I'm. I wish I was kidding, but it's like a misconfigured, like a Tomcat server with default creds. So we're talking '90s vulnerabilities. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, no, okay. look, straight up, it's it's like default creds on a Tomcat server led me to a shell, which that now mind you, a shell is just a shell, right? But sure. with the knowledge that I have, I can take a shell from nothing to owning an entire environment, right? So it's, it, it's, it's, it's like when we talked about, like, yeah, I'll just go after the runs the mainframe. That's cool. You have admin creds, but what do you do with them that matters? But the enterprise doesn't care that you have admin to the mainframe. What they care is their DB2 database that has every single person's health record for an entire state. Well, do like, they, that's though? What, that what matters. Or yeah. do they say we have mitigating controls? Like, we have all these things in front of it. And it, that's kind of what my, uh, my, my experience has been is no we don't we don't touch that big black box with the red uh button we have all these mitigating controls in front of it like we have firewalls and we have this and that don't touch that thing please for the love of god don't unmap it it will crash or it can will I, die I'll, I'll, can i speak yeah. for a second on that before you even respond like me yeah. um you think about credit unions and you think about them being like non-profit agencies you think about how deep these people actually dig and that's like the downfall of mainframe, mainframe systems in a lot of the sense is how many people can actively support that or how many people are that damn good at it 
and it's rough and it's like nice to have you here and it's nice to have you speak about mainframes and defense and what you're actually doing to you know remediate this issue because it's not something that goes untouched by any means but it's yeah it's awesome to have you here i mean i mean i would say i i would say it's about the same percentage of people good at setting up linux servers for banks around um, right i mean it's it's the the talent pool is limited, but the amount of implementations of mainframes is also limited, right? So it's not like there's not like billions of mainframe instances around the planet. So you mentioned before like getting a shell through Tomcat, right? And yeah. let's assume you've got an underprivileged. I'm assuming it's an underprivileged shell. They're not throwing Tomcat as the. Is it, I guess UID zero is it still root? No, I mean it, even if it's root, you don't own the mainframe, right? I mean it's. All right, so I'm I'm way ahead of you, but basically Unix runs as part of the ZOS operating system that run, it runs the TCP IP. But even if you get root in in the Unix part of ZOS, doesn't mean you've owned the environment. It's like say. a subsystem. Okay. What, what is yeah, that part it, It's called Unix System Services or OMVS, and it's 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 a it's like a subsystem of the of the operating system for lack. So of once you. Once you get to the shell, right, and you want to break out of this subsystem, I'm assuming you're going to need a bug and a payload and stuff like that. So, like, are there readily, like, you know, are there example payloads for this architecture that you can, like, QMU, testing QMU or anything? Or is this all, like, yes. you need a framework, you need a mainframe? Okay, so so, so there's, a, there's a handful of, of things you can do, right? So there's, there's a gentleman by the name of Ayub. Um, his GitHub is, like, at A-Y-O-U-L... I think one or maybe capital I three. Um, but, but basically his GitHub has a whole bunch of scripts. So there's a scripting language on Rex. And if you're an Amiga person, that may sound familiar because it's a scripting language, but it's basically yeah. like before Python, right? Before Perl and Python, Rex is a scripting language, super powerful. He has written a bunch of scripts that tell you what is is available for you to go after so so basically whenever we do a pen test we're actively looking if we can access apf authorized library it's sort of the first thing you might target an AP, an apf authorized library is a library it's almost like a kernel module that you can install yourself right and so so if you can install a, a kernel module and run it, you have full control of the entire operating system. I'll say ring zero because that's what people understand. And so, so once we, if we target that, and, and there's multiple other ways you can, so at Black Hat, uh, Big Any and Smalls is actually going to be talking about targeting SVCs and reverse engineering them to find backdoors that you can, you can use to take advantage of, right? So if you're interested in this, I would recommend you go watch that talk. But there are things we can look at, and there are libraries. So, like, like I said, like IU has a great rec scripts to do that. I have a, I have a couple of scripts, like on my GitHub, that are for system enumeration. So, for dumping um, a startup map, for dumping various system information that are is that is in that is good for you, um, all all kinds of stuff that you might look for to do privilege escalation. There's all kinds of different ways. Look, I, the challenge is this is. Like I said at the beginning, it, this is a very immature space, right? There are there are seven of us who do this publicly. Um, well, I would say 
there's seven of us, but there's really three or four of us who talk about this publicly, right? Um, we don't have a framework. If you look at Metasploit right now, there are some mainframe libraries, again, from big N and smalls. Um, if you look at, at his stuff, it, it's about targeting and getting, you know, doing privilege escalation through JCL, doing, doing privilege escalation through APF authorized libraries over FTP and, and those kind of attacks. But in terms of like, is there something equivalent to the like, you know, Linux Enum program that you just run as part of your OSCP to see what's available? That doesn't exist today. That doesn't mean we're not working on it and we're actively working. But it, it's well, just a, a lack of people and a lack of resources. That's why that doesn't exist. So are you actually... Are, and like, you don't have to give away stuff that you don't want to give away, but it sounds like you're working on possibly a CTF that's more centered around mainframes. Is that, would that be an accurate statement? <laughs> that sounds yes cool. And, yes, and actually, so if you attend the Share conference, which is sort of like the big mainframe industry conference, um, I think they're going to have a mainframe CTF this year. That's interesting. And what's it called which, again? Uh, Share, S-H-A-R-E. Um, it's, it's just like an industry conference, but for, it's like DEF CON, but for mainframes. And uh, they'll have a, a mainframe, um, I think they're going to have a mainframe CTF at the, at the current one. How interested are people that are one step removed from mainframe security? How interested are they in security? Depends who you talk. Well, so, so, so when, when you generally. think of a mainframe, it, you can't really think of it as a box like you would like a Linux or Windows machine. You have to think of it as more of a data center within a box, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's, it's got all these different, that's how I explain it. So imagine you have an entire active directory domain and you have multiple machines on that domain and you have all kinds of things running on that thing. Okay. But think can... about the mainframe as all that into one package. I can think of like really specific things that I would target and attack if if I was going after Active Directory. If I was going after the idea of a mainframe or a mainframe, I I can think of two things now that you've mentioned, which is awesome. But I I, I can't really think of a lot of specifics. Is it is it maybe a learning thing that yeah. needs to just be I, it's out there. Part, part of it is a learning thing, um, which is why, look, look, no lie, we've, uh, big and small as if I run a class um, that, we, that we teach, and we, we do that specifically so we can get the knowledge out, right? I mean, we understand there are hundreds or thousands of corporations running this platform for critical loads that and the pen test team, the red teams, their AppSec team have never looked at it because they've been dealing with fires in their Linux and Windows environments, right? And so finally, they, you know, we have these environments, or like I work really hard, I go to audit conferences and I tell the auditors, hey, you guys should be pushing your enterprise to be doing better on this platform, right? Because for a long time, people weren't even allowed to do an NMAP scan of a mainframe because you would bring it down. Yeah, that was the fear. But then on the other side of the fence, you have IBM saying, well, we have nines of time. Well, yeah. if, what? Like so, it's up like three hundred and sixty-four point eight days a year. Oh, five nights. Okay. Right. Like it's it's up an insane amount of time. But the challenge is, how do you reconcile that? Well, if I can't do an Nmap scan on your mainframe, it's secure. Then how can you tell me at the same time that 
that it's it has unrealistic uptimes. Like there was, in fact, so the first time I did a real mainframe audit, um, they told me, well, we don't do vulnerability scans because it could bring the mainframe down. And so I wrote up this audit thing saying, okay, well, time to move off the mainframe because it's not safe to use this platform for our critical data processing. Yeah. Um, and then I got no end of shit from the partner to the client, all this stuff. I used to love because, that. Yeah, well, because you know, they wouldn't let us do vulnerability scanning because we're going to bring it down, but at the same time, it's needed for critical business processing. So one, so eventually they came around and said, okay, we'll let you do vulnerability. Right? Um, that's, that's sort of how it goes down. But... Amazing. I, that, I think, it's so, so typical, too. Honestly, it really is so typical in, in not only enterprise, but critical infrastructure just uh, everywhere. Yeah. It's super typical. Um, so now, when you're talking about these different, like, um, when you're saying about these, uh, like, systems that will go, people are afraid will go down if you scan them or touch them or do anything to them, but you have to somehow test them. What are some of the biggest sort of challenges that you have in as a whole in actually doing these engagements? Because it seems like the whole sort of, like, we really need you to test this for compliance purposes or auditing purposes, but we also don't want you to touch it at all. Like what are the sort of challenges and how do you work around them? So first I, I lean heavily on compliance, right? So I always say things like, well, PCI requires this or HIPAA requires that. Our auditors require this. I always just lean heavily on that. And then they always come back with, well, it's out of scope for this reason or that reason. And then I push back and say, why and blah, blah, blah. But in my experience, and, I, and I've been doing pen testing, I've been to pen testing this platform for a while now, I have never brought a mainframe down. I like, have. Right? Like, yeah. I, like through an Nmap scan, I've, like I've brought components of it down. Like I may yeah, have killed yeah, an application yeah. that's running. Like I've, I've killed, in fact, I was setting up the lab environment for the training I'm going to give, and I killed kicks through an Nmap, Nmap scan. Right? And that's then I, I rebooted it, and, and that's fine. But... Yeah, I mean, but but I've never brought a mainframe down. And and then even if I did, right? Even say if I did, if I did bring a development mainframe, wouldn't you that's rather know? Right? Like wouldn't you rather yeah, that's a vulnerability. That's a that's a DOS vulnerability. If I can bring yeah. your mainframe down, I can stop you from processing like flights and ground your fleet for the day. Right? Wouldn't that be something you want to know about? Versus keeping your head in the sand and pretending like that's something that's not a risk. That's when it really yeah. comes down to management too. This talk just got real mature. Yeah. Right. But the, I mean, <laughs> this is the kind of stuff that everybody can expect to encounter at some point in their InfoSec well, careers like, if they go into InfoSec. Well, like we joke, like, like I joke a lot about, about like the mainframe and like fucking with it and stuff, but you can cause serious outages on this platform. It is, it is no jokes. And so, and so, you know, like we, you know, but some of them are kind of just used for, for stupid stuff, but like going after this platform, especially if you're in the enterprise, it, it's not going to be today. We're not pen testing our mainframe tomorrow. We're doing a mainframe. Like you have to find, like, I don't, I personally do not feel comfortable testing a production mainframe because if I bring it down or if I'm able to get so far into the environment that I can change a person's health records. I don't want that happening in production. So aside from changing health records, the fact that it's still it's still that finicky of a of a architecture 
that you can just bring it down by doing normal uh, what we would consider normal pen test stuff that that's saying something though right well i think i think it's less okay so so this is a story that that i share every time i talk about this but um long ago someone did an nmap scan when nmap first came out like the first frac issue that it came out someone took that and ran an nmap scan against the mainframe and it brought the mainframe down and that was because of the way they implemented the stack the tcpip stack when when you when you read the implementation guidelines for the stack it says you do a three-way handshake right you do you do synac syn the whole thing right synac synac but what happens when someone's yeah, what happens when someone doesn't do do the handshake properly? Well, the people when you pay a bunch of engineers to implement something, you don't they're not paid to think what if, they're paid to implement the, the spec. And so what happened was the first time they implemented the spec, they used jobs on the mainframe, like they used main ZOS is a very job-based operating system. They use jobs, and every job every time you connect it to a port, a half open, like you did a half open handshake with Nmap it left it half open and it ran a job and the job would send its axin back and you would never reply, right? But a job's timeout was something like two hours. And on these systems, they're, they're heavily tuned to death, right? So they're fine tuned to how much you need. And so you would limit how many jobs can run consistently to something like 5,000 jobs. So all of a sudden you hit the first 5,000 and now you've brought your mainframe down. Yeah. Because it's it like can't a, run any other jobs. Exhaustion. <laughs> exactly. Consuming all the open it, it's literally a resource exhaustion because because yeah. it's saying it's it's waiting for you. It's waiting for it. It sent or it sent it sent some packet back, and now you're trying. And now it's waiting for you to reply. And it's like, well, I didn't receive a reply. I'll just wait for two hours. The job right, control, so, um, the job control stuff. Like uh, the the only times that I've really interfaced with a mainframe, um, not in a pen testing perspective, but just understanding how the rest of the network talks to it, have been through like batch jobs that get uploaded yep. over FTPS or like NFS or something even more archaic. At best, SCP to some folder on a mainframe. Right. I suspect, and sometimes I've seen JCL files or, or routines or procedures or something that I could modify. I didn't know anything about the language though. Um, if you if you that, had access, I mean, to does it have the same kind of problems that like like does it have does it have the same kind of script problems that like a Perl script or a Python oh, yeah. script? Yeah. So if like you look at escape, escape and like opening arbitrary files, escaping yeah. to the OS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So if you run, if you look at MSF, if you look at Metasploit right now, you can use MSF Venom to generate JCL that'll give you a shell. Wow. Okay. So it, today, like right now in Cali, you go to Cali. All right. That answers all of my questions. Thanks. Um, and you can, and it'll give you, it'll give you the JCL you need. So what the JCL does is it's basically an inline compiled to a temp file. So it's just in memory. A, a temp file that will compile um, a, a program that Beginning and Smalls wrote in Assembler that connects back to a listener or opens up a port. That's crazy. Right. Um, or if you don't have access to the compiler, so I have in my GitHub a shells uh, git, which is shells written in Rex and C that will also work. 
right? So if you have enough, if you have access to JCL and you can run, there's a handful of commands like like uh, there's USS commands, there's TSO commands, and then there's Rex commands. You can run if if you can run any of those, then you can do um, you can get reverse shell. I don't mean to like I don't mean to dive in or interrupt, but man, it seems like you want us to. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, it's a lot of a lot of really good information, and I think it's a space that definitely needs to be explored. And um, I mean, I exploded. wouldn't I wouldn't be here if I didn't think I want I want more. So so my whole spiel is I want more. Than oh, not, man, you might cut right? out. You cut out. What did you say? Oh, sorry. I, I want more people doing this than not doing this. Yeah, right. I feel I think it's, this is a a systemic important platform. Yeah, I and think the fact the that it's so under researched is terrifying to me. I so, was commenting before this that it's one of the few topics that I think almost everybody that's listening and or on the show is gonna have to Google and like yeah look at. Yeah. It. it really is. Never heard of half these protocols and and just systems in general, and like. But one of the things people have been talking a lot in the Twitch chat, I'm not sure if you've been watching it, uh, Mainframe, but um, they've been basically people have been trying to figure out the resources that they can use to actually learn. So, I mean, because most people don't have access, or even if they are in a space where they could potentially access, maybe not be afforded access to a mainframe, especially anything that's like remotely touching anything important. Um, so, how would the person listening right now, let's say somebody who already knows a, a bit about network security, maybe he's done like CTFs or OSDP and wants to try to get into the space, how would you recommend that they get started? Like, are there platforms that are good for emulation that they can they can just quickly spin up an instance of say, oh, here's one that's processing credit card data, here's one that's processing flight data or medical data that they could just boot up and say like virtual box and start playing? With. Okay, so okay, one. All right, let me. I'll run through the list here. Let me try to break it up. So, if you're a student in any school, you can sign up for the Master the Mainframe program. This is a program put on by IBM, and they're basically now, mind you, it is not a security-based program. It is for learning the basics of the architecture and writing programs in C and COBOL and whatever on the platform. Right, but those are the fundamentals for information security, anyways. So uh, it would be beneficial to take to do the master of the mainframe program. I just pasted a link into the chat. Awesome. Be beyond that, that um, so there's another. There is a, a emulator called Hercules, which is an open source emulator for ZOS and Windows and, and Mac, um, and you can run a really really old version of the mainframe operating system. It's called, um, oh, I can't remember the name of it. Um, but it's, it's super old. It's basically public domain mainframe operating system. That's how old it is, right? Thanks. But you can run it and you can, but everything works. Because, because the OS is so backwards compatible, it's, 30, it's TN3270. Um, they just implemented a TCP IP stack for it. If, if you want to get your, if you want to get, if you want to get sort of like your toes wet <laughs> into this environment, and and running like this really ancient operating system in Hercules, like I've run it on a Raspberry Pi. You can what? go ahead and yeah, yeah, oh. um, yeah, yeah. Why not? Um, That's crazy. Can, Were these do this. running, by the way, on X twenty five and like 
pots before? You just said they just yeah. did IPv4. That's that's mind blowing. Well, this is for sorry, this is for the open open version, the the one that was public domain, oh, right? Oh. That didn't it, it didn't talk TCP/IP before. Um, it, it used you, some SNA networking magic. Do, the, do you have the, a tutorial somewhere for the Raspberry Pi thing? I think that would be great for people to try to jump into this to just, just to reproduce no. it on a Pi. I don't know. It's somewhere on my there. my Tumblr. Um, I'm gonna have to look it up. Nice. But but uh, honestly, your best bet is to just look at Hercules Turnkey. I'm gonna. But there's there's a a a person who put out this version of of Hercules. It's called the Hercules like. Oh, that is MVS 3.8 J. But basically, this is like you run this in Hercules and you'll have a mainframe running up in like two seconds. And it runs. And yeah, I mean, it, it's old and it's not what enterprises are running today, but it's the equivalent of running like like Apache to learn web servers, right? Like, yeah. like you know, like, like you got to start somewhere. And then, and then if you really want to get into this, there is a version that is that you can buy. You can buy it from IBM, but it's very expensive. It's called uh, God. They change the name every freaking quarter. But um, when I talked about it, it was RDZ, so Rational Developer and Z Unit Test. They also call it Rational Developer for System Z, Rational Developer for System Z and Test. There's all these names, right? Basically, IBM offers a full-on emulated mainframe environment that you can run on your laptop. And I have run it on my laptops. I'm running one on a laptop right now. Um, if you work for an enterprise, if you work for like an airline or a bank or a manufacturer, or anyone that has a mainframe environment that's running an IBM mainframe, ZOS mainframe, not AS400, but ZOS mainframe, you likely can get this, this product for way cheaper than what it is offered on the website. Right? On the website, I think it's like five to 10 grand. But it's if, called RDZ. Uh, like, well, that's goes. Let me see. I'll I'll, I'll look it up. National developer. And Believe it or not, we got we got yes. a lot of people that actually work in environments like that. So 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 if you work, um, let me see. IBM's. Yeah, IBM's Z system yeah, looks, like, looks like Trojan has it uh, linked in uh, Twitch. So so basically, that's environment. It it lets you emulate like no joke a full-on and in fact it's what we use a no joke mainframe environment it's just uh, like a, an emulated environment right so it's yeah it's a little slower it's not as fast as running it on the actual hardware but all the kind of exploits that we deal with even buffer overflows work on the hypervisor so here's one of the one of the rough questions i gotta ask why continue to stay on mainframes why why not they've the return on investment because has already been paid off like 30 years and because there's only seven down. people that know how to do it yeah but that's fine you only need five people to run it that's why he's here and trying to express it to be quite honest like he talks about COBOL and how many people like the amount of people that actually know that and yeah. you know how to program around it is honestly fucking insane yeah, but how like hard five, is it? Five guys like, in this country that could do COBOL and they make like, that's not true. There's like there's well, thousands of people, but like even then, how many people can do C? C is very hard to learn. But yeah. once you learn C, like like how hard is it to learn COBOL or Python? Like how hard is it to teach a pro? Like once you understand a programming language, the rest yeah. of the programming languages are fundamentally the same. 
they're just yeah, a bunch of I mean, if and for. We know that, but HR doesn't know that. So uh, you're gonna, right. gonna have some kind of cert on your but it's, on your resume that says certified COBOL ninja. It, it's what? Yeah, well, that's okay. Yeah, Rockstar experience yeah. that proves it. Like you got seventy nine years experience with COBOL, but exactly. <laughs> but 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 that's an HR issue, right? But that's why companies. That's why IBM offered Master of the Mainframe program because literally people go into the Master of the Mainframe thing. And come out with jobs in enterprises. But yeah, you're not, you're not talking. You're not talking mediocre entry, mid-level jobs either. You're no, they're like they're big. going from college to eighty to ninety thousand dollar a year jobs managing ZOSs. Now, mind you, they're low-level administrators on these boxes, right? They're not going to give them like straight access to copy DASDs and shit around. But copy what? That's a, a hard drive images. Don't worry about it. But no, 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 basically, no. It's an interesting term. What is it? A direct access storage device. It's what you call a hard, huh. right? But it's like storage. It's just, it's just the idea of you can have multiple volumes and multiple hard drives, and then you say, okay, where are you going to? We're going to move everything from this hard drive to that hard drive. That's what storage people do. How do you do for um, on that? Uh, you you don't right now is the answer. <laughs> that's that's yeah. well, that's, that's the thing, right? So like we talked about, the mainframe is such a like an important part of our financial fabric but the for like the maturity in the infosec space just isn't there so what are the some of the default uh zeos usernames and passwords there's just yeah. one and it's ibm user oh my god <laughs> and its password is ibm password why no, is no, the user is sys1 it's not even six, it's not even it's four characters it's sys1 is the default no, this, that, that's as bad as decknet decknet from the 80s and yeah what's what's great is here's what's great if you delete VMS, that user VMS. id if you delete that user id from the user database and reset your mainframe the the mainframe will recreate the user id with the default password and so it's it. basic so it's, it's hard coded it's like yeah. it's, it's an access camera then. <laughs> yeah, well, think, yeah. I mean, if you want to think about it like that, yeah. I mean, the problems the mainframe face are no different than anything else that that is in this planet, right? In terms of IT, it's just an IT system made by people. Could you DOS the mainframe with uh, Nmap and get it to reset its default password? <laughs> no. Well, so no. Unfortunately, um, you, you can't loving? get it to delete. It's well. I mean, you could. So, so there have been talks of like, well, yeah, if I know every single user ID, rated them all, you can just guess five passwords on all of them, and then lock out every single user. Yes. Right. I was just kidding. Yeah, that's crazy, man. That's wild. So, what what is a typical uh, engagement uh, write up look like for you? Other than like a lot of flames and like drawings of flames. <laughs> I mean, it. Is there, any joke, light, it's, is there any it's, light at the end of the tunnel? <laughs> it, it's no different than if you're doing up any other pen test. Sure, sure. Right? It's just a computer. It's, it's just an environment. Just because it's more important than other computer systems doesn't mean that you treat it differently. Like, I don't. I personally don't. From, really, from what really you've told us, it like it's had, even, it's had even less security attention, and therefore a lot of these really old-school and simple Bug classes apply. Um, yeah. Oh man. Uh, I'm literally. Yeah, I, think, I think the only the only solace that I take is the fact that there aren't that many people looking into it. Right. Well, yeah, that's and that's that's the that's literally the only solace I take. 
Um, <laughs> but that's the challenge is, is for the longest time, it has been security by obscurity. And then literally mm. by shining a little bit of a, the handful of us that do this research have caused waves in the community. It's, it's like I'm, I'm, I'm thinking like drawing parallels between this and IoT, you know, just put out like all yep. the shit with bugs from the 90s. Yep. yep. You know, I want to go back to kind of what uh, I asked originally and just dig deeper. Uh, you, you mentioned that the most common uh, screw ups are uh, deduced via password spraying, uh, user enumeration. What, you know, keep going, keep going on the list. There's definitely a lot more and uh, we're going to jump off of that quick. Yeah, I mean, so, okay, so I'll go down the list. So, so one is going to be, so, so Vanguard puts out a, a, a list of like their top 10 things, and it's always the same top 10 things, right? But number one on that list is access to APF authorized libraries, which if you're thinking about it in the Linux equivalent is access to the set, if, say if on the mainframe there's a folder and everything in that folder is set UID. Let's just use that. I know that's not possible, but say it is. On the mainframe, that's possible. You have a folder where everything in that folder is set UID. Okay? That's called APF authorized. If you have right access to that folder, I can own the mainframe. Because what APF authorized means is I can get into supervisor state. All right. Final punch. How many times do you come across this typically? Percentage? 50 50? Uh, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I don't know. It's Is it I crazy high on, it depends on the environment. So like in a development environment, it's going to be higher than normal. Oh, because sure, auditors sure. don't look at development environments, but those development environments are connected into prod for yeah, some reason. Right. In, in luckily auditors know to look for APF authorized libraries in production. So they're fairly locked down. Okay. Right on. Sorry to, so no, no. That, no, 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 that's on. fine. Keep going. Um, on. <laughs> uh, the other space, the other space that doesn't get looked at. So we've talked so far about the, the infrastructure, like the operating system layer, right? And then if we look at Kix, Kix is the equivalent of like a web server running in TN3270. That's like, I don't have, it's, it's like a web server. I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. But it suffers from the exact same challenges as a web server. You can do, there is a part if you look at IUB script, IUB has a script called Kixpone, which utilizes one of the Kix transactions to upload and then execute JCL through Kix, right? And if you have access to these specific, there's like one or two specific panels that you need access to. If you have access to those transactions, you can get a shell through Kix. And then you have, oh, and then you have other things like, um, can you access applications without authentication? Can you do user enumeration in Kicks? Can you access, I mean, and that's just Kicks. There's whole other things. You can look at various other applications. So TPX and ACF2 allows you to enumerate users. Can you, there's basically, the reason I'm in this space is because it's new and interesting, right? Like we joked about like legacy and it's old dying earlier, but I, I do all my research in this space because no one's doing any research in this space, but also because there's so much surface for me to look at that it's just fun. Do you, do you think looking at exfiltration from these systems is almost more 
valuable than uh, than trying to stop the bleeding in them. It sounds like the bleeding is really gushing. I mean, okay, so okay, one, I'm gonna get in shit because someone's gonna call me out on. That's all good. Um, we all get so, shit. So we I'll say, sit on here. <laughs> I mean, it's not as bad as I say it is. Okay, so so my job is to basically terrify people so they get started doing research in this space. That's yeah, that's man. my job. But as far as we can tell, on various systems that we've looked at, no one is doing any outbound packet filtering in the mainframe. Because everyone in every company implicitly trusts their mainframe. Yeah, that's that's like a huge takeaway. And so that's listening, by the way. Yeah. So I asked a buddy of mine, and he wrote, and I think it might might be on Git. So a gentleman by the name of of like I said, there's seven of us. Um, Henry, and we all talk. Uh, Henry Kuiper. He wrote a Java proxy that will run in ZOS, and if you run this proxy all of your attacks will look like they're coming from the mainframe. <laughs> Which to me means, oh, you can talk to every system in the enterprise and trust the mainframe. The mainframe has to talk to everybody because it's the center of the enterprise. Right? Uh, it's like the equivalent of uh, spoofing the printer, right? Basically, if your printer was the only printer in the company and everyone... Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Damn, that's, that's, like so a, that's terrible. Yo, so, please set up the test environment. I want to mess with it now. That sounds really fun. Um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 definitely. I mean, look, like I said, it's a fun space for me, and it's so just fun to to fuck around. Like I I treat it yeah. as as just like like a what if space. That's honestly right. Like like what we're all like, about. Like so, Kix does JSON, right? It does JSON stuff. Are JSON attacks applicable in Kix, like deserialization attacks? Can you do that on Kix? I don't know. I haven't done the research yet. Probably. Can you do? There's all kinds of stuff. Like we didn't know. Uh, so 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 I gave beginning and small, and I gave a talk at DefCon, and when we submitted the talk, we said we're going to present the world's first ZOS buffer overflow. Period. We actually didn't know when we submitted the talk if that was possible or not. But Did you end the talk with, I got the creds? Uh, well, no, he ended the talk <laughs> with, look at this, I got a, a shell. Awesome. A, like, I got a root shell, right? So, and in fact, I implore you, you can, you can watch my half of the talk if you want, but skip it and skip to Big Any and Small's part, which is phenomenal, and he talks about doing buffer overflows. <laughs> it's, it's fucking amazing. He's got, a good, but, uh, he's got a good name, too, by the way. Uh, yes. Topic, his Twitter username is pretty badass. I like that. Yeah, I love it. Fuck as fuck. So... So, but but the thing is, is is with this space, like for for literally thirty to forty years, people can't do a buffer. I think it's because you don't have you don't have that evil, not evil, but you don't have that devious mindset. You don't. You have a bunch of engineers, yeah, that have been just working on it, doing the the thing that makes the thing work. Yeah, I think let's fuck uh, with it. I think the challenge is is availability. Right. Sure. So, yeah. so you have, in fact, okay, this is my favorite story to share. I was doing a mainframe audit and we were, I was told that there are three pillars to mainframe security at this company. One is um, compliance, which is not really security. Two is you can't go out and buy the operating system like you can Windows or Linux. Notwithstanding, Linux is free, but you can't just go and buy the operating system. And then the third pillar 
was the fact that you even if you could buy it, you couldn't run it on anything. And so then I went I went home. I was traveling and and I went home and instead of spending time with my wife, I downloaded a copy of the operating system from BitTorrent and then uh, ran it and then wrote up an article under a fake name and then went back to work on Monday at the same client site and say, not only can you get it for free, but you can run it on commodity hardware and there's a hacker online talking about it. So you're, <laughs> two of it. your three pillars are wrong. <laughs> that's yes. great. Oh, that's hack cool. left, Eddie, hack left. Yeah. That's so cool. That's a good story. <laughs> well, thank you. But it's, 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 but that's, that's the kind of mindset you're dealing with in this space is until they're, they, until they are shown wrong, incorrect, they will believe their biases. Really? Until you take a baseball bat. Basically. Oh. Yeah. Until, <laughs> until like, until now that's not true. Not, not everyone is like that. Right. I don't sure. want to paint the entire community with one brush. You know but, what? Let's paint them all. Let's paint them all. Like, and I was invited come at us and say, no, look what I'm doing for security and let's invite them to come out of the woodwork. I was, I was invited to give a keynote at share, which is like a mainframe industry conference. And I didn't know, I didn't know anyone at the conference. Imagine like you're going to DEF CON, but you don't know anybody, right? You just walk in like blind and my face is on a bunch of posters around the thing. And I show up to like the dinner before the conference starts and I'm, I don't know anyone. I'm just going to have dinner by myself. And I sit down at this table alone, like some loser. And this guy comes up and he's like, he sits right down next to me and goes, I, re I recognize you. I, re I recognize you're on those posters. You're the mainframe hacker who's going to give the keynote on Tuesday morning. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, good. My plan is to go out drinking on Monday. And because your keynote's first thing in the morning, I've got to get up till 10 o'clock. Because I think your talk is not worth my time. Said it right to my face. Like, literally, oh, right, I'm trying to get people They're doing. Oh, it, what an asshole. Just, so, you so, well, okay. So. No, you did, so, but that, just, and that goes, no, that goes back into the point of like what's most important or what the like what's most vulnerable at that point in time. Like it's not going to matter if you're talking about mainframes or someone's not going to see any value in it. And like that's the right. point of view coming here too. Is like, so, well, his 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 mindset was not that his mainframe didn't matter. It was just that it was not hackable. What company, by the way? I don't know, and I didn't ask. <laughs> Nor do I remember his name. So, <laughs> so he, so I go. I just I I give him my phone. And I give him my phone with a link to the main, the website that has all the mainframes that are on the internet, right? And I go, just scroll through this list and see if you see anything that pops out. And he's going through the list, and he's like, oh, this is bad. And then he sees Isuzu, and he sees Iceland Air, and Air, and he's like, well, this is very bad. Like, these are not good things to be on the internet. And I asked him, I go, why does it matter if it's on the internet or not? You, you told me that you don't think my talk is valuable because you don't think this platform is hackable. So why does it matter if it's on the internet or not, right? Like if I have the world's most indestructible car, I should be able to park it in the worst neighborhood in America. And it, right, it's unbreakable. You can't break into it. And he goes, okay, I see, I see your point. I'll see you tomorrow morning. And sure enough, he showed up and he came and he shook my hand after the keynote. Is he one of the seven? Uh, no, he is. No, definitely not. <laughs> um, I had to ask. But it's it's dealing with that. That's that's part of the challenge is, is dealing with that mindset of it's unhackable, I right? We one on the one hand we won't let hackers touch it because we're worried you're going to bring it down. But on the other hand, you don't need to touch it because we've been told it's unhackable anyways. Uh, yeah, man. It, the problem uh, is it, the future is 
bleak temporarily at least because in order for there to be progress in this there usually has to be destruction right and like i've said we are where i would say we are where cisco was in like early 2000 like remember when cisco used to like go to defcon and sue defcon for preventing a cisco talk from coming out right and like cisco oh we don't have any zero days and stuff and now cisco has like a cve program and like they'll issue cves day of and all this kind of shit that's like okay so this is this is the thing i have to bring up so mainframes the I, ibm does not release vulnerabilities on the mainframe they will not tell you that a vulnerability exists on the mainframe even if you are a paying customer and own licenses and all this shit, they will not tell you about a vulnerability what they will tell you and i'm telling this for the listeners who work for enterprises who have a mainframe you can sign up for what's called the ibm security portal and in that site will be all the patches that you need to apply to your mainframe and a CVE score that that patch fix. Now, the challenge is that patch, all you know, is for a product category. So this patch is for kicks. You don't know what the patch is fixing, but all you know is that it has a CVE score. So it's urgent it and needs to be applied. I know how to do but that. I think um, if we look at the, the Windows lands, like Patch Tuesday, like, you know, it's Exploit Wednesday the next day because everyone reverse engineers patches. Yeah. So yep. with a bit, you know, with a bit more, um, you know, coverage in the space, like maybe that could be mainframes at some point. Let's be real. If, if, you're, if you're a nation state and you have access to this, this information and you know how important it is to governments and banks, would you not already be doing that? I, I, I would argue yes, but at the same time, you can just use the upstream people yep. and their access, right? Yeah. So I mean, so I'm really curious, actually, if if there are uh, in incident response firms, IR firms that have actually seen direct uh, mainframe attacks. That would be super interesting to know about. If if you really want to, re- and and okay, here's another link. Man, we're gonna go way over. Um, if you if you good. really want to read about one, there is the Logica breach, which happened in Sweden. So, okay, do you guys know who who Anakata is? Nope. Let me back up. Do you guys know what the Pirate Bay is? Mm. Yeah, dude. Okay, so there is a. There, no, I I personally have never been there. I have I have only heard <laughs> rumors about the website. Sure. And so it was run by three guys, and one of the guys' name was Anakata. And, and he's a fucking data center autist, but yeah, continue. Any, anywho, um, I, I won't comment on him. I've only, I've only talked to his mom. And so <laughs> he was arrested and allegedly committed a mainframe breach of a government mainframe in Sweden. Okay. Oh, interesting. But the Swedish government knew that the second, because they, they indicted him and they brought and they got him uh, expedited from, from Malaysia where he was. And so they knew that if they arrested him and got him brought over from a foreign country that everyone would think it's because of the Pirate Bay. Sure, yeah. Right? So what they did is they released everything about the breach online. They released the entire investigation on WikiLeaks. Oh, sorry. They well, they introduced it, and then WikiLeaks published it all on the internet. And I'm gonna so, I'm gonna send you guys that link now. Yeah. But basically, 
the entirety of that breach is exactly what he did. It is the forensics activity. Now, that mainframe was not set up properly. So, so in the Unix part of, of the mainframe, you have syslog. And their syslog was pointing to slash temp. So it would put the syslogs in slash temp, which what happens when you reset a mainframe? It deletes that folder because it's and temp. opens that password. Right. So what happens is he, he deleted, he, like, so he, he, he breached the mainframe and then they lost, they found the hacker and they're like, okay, we'll just reset the mainframe. You know, whatever problem this is, we'll get rid of it. Jesus. Um, yes. That was and, their fix to a breach? Initially, he was there for three years. Okay, so they had multiple different things they had to deal with. But the first thing they did is reset the mainframe, and that he had done on Unix because it delete all his all the logs of his activity were lost because they were pointed to slash temp. I think I've heard of slash temp as a as a uh, landing place for those in other places too. So I don't even think that's an uncommon thing. So. So if you if you really want to, and I implore you. So so what I did when that came out, uh, my my email address is actually in the paper because I thought I did it for a bit because at the time I was the only person publicly speaking about mainframe hacking, and what I talked about it is exactly what he did before I talked about it. So they were like, well, this must be the guy because he's talking about what exactly a person would do, right? So, but what's interesting about those files is if you read them. Let me let me pull up this link. But basically, if you read them, there are snippets of code scattered throughout the documents, right? I've read them all in English and in Swedish. I've translated. And if you read through them, there are snippets of code. But in some documents, is the first half of the program. So so this this, this literally happened. I, I gave a talk in Sweden about the breach, and the person was like, "How did you recreate this program?" And I'm like, "Well." In the English document was the first half of the program, but in the Swedish document was the second half of the program. Right. And so I just I just copied and pasted them and put them together. And the both guys looked at each other and like, I thought we agreed it was going to be the top half. I thought we agreed it was going to be the bottom half. Right. And so so I was able to reconstruct some programs like that. Some of them are screenshots and I just reconstructed them. Some of them are um, in fact, so I'm giving a talk at Sky Talks at DEF CON um, Friday nice. morning. Nice. About um, during what, this investigation. Wait, 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 wait. What time Friday morning? Uh, 11 a.m., so bright right, and early. Right. So um, at 10. Yes. And so, so this talk, so what happened during, so during this whole investigation, some rando reaches out to me on Twitter and sends me a pastebin link and says, is this real? And it's, and it's a buffer overflow that gives you system special through an APF authorized Unix module um that gives you that gives you basically the ability to do whatever you want um and so i'm going to that pavement is still live by the way you can click on the link in the program. so if you go to the sky talks website you can click on the link um but i'm going to walk through exactly what that program does and how it did it and why i think it was part of the breach uh that, that sky talks hold on hold on the DEFCON uh, description of your SkyTalk has a pastebin link that we can check out right now. Yeah, I'll 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 load it up right now. Um, sweet. I hope I hope it's there. Um, yeah, I just checked it the other day. Uh, nice. Awesome. Maybe it's not on the website, but uh, yeah, they I I loaded up the program the other day. 
But basically, uh, if you want to hear me talk about that and talk about the, the breach investigation a little more, you can you can go to the Sky Talk site. Or I've actually I've talked about it at length at a at a at a, at a activity conference in Budapest. I talked about the whole breach and I went into the details about the breach and stuff like that. If you want to know more, um, there's there's a whole bunch of research that I've done in that in that space as well. So just from a, like you asked about forensics and that kind of thing, and, and I think. That yeah. breach is the only publicly disclosed. No, well, what's interesting about that breach is in the report are a bunch of third-party mainframes, like in the like in China and other countries, that were referenced as as points of entry, right? So that he someone breached those mainframes and then used those to connect into the Swedish mainframe, and then those mainframes were no longer internet accessible after the breach. Wow. Notification went live, right? So, so the thinking is, um, someone told those people, "Hey, you've also been breached by this person. You need to to shut it out and clean up. Maybe get the goddamn thing off the internet." <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, again, it's to me personally. If you lock different, right? So, oh, sorry. To me, it's no different than a web server that sits on, right? If you secure it, 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 yeah. I mean, if you lock it down enough, like who cares? Well, what's locked down enough though? It sounds like there's no amount of locking down that. Nah, you can lock them down well enough to stop a like good enough, like an adversary like me, right? There's things you can do. Yeah, I mean, don't don't expose TN thirty two seventy. Don't expose NJE. Expose kicks. Don't let me connect to VTAM. Just present a like a web page. It's probably well, what about, so like on a database level. Does that is that stuff like publicly accessible, or are you just parsing this out to uh, front ends for users? Uh, I I mean, if you follow my 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 Twitter, you've seen I've been talking to Hacker Lunch about where their scope ends and begins in terms of mainframes. But um, I will say I have seen on the internet DRDA interfaces into DB2. I've also seen RESTful interfaces into DB2 that are internet-facing. It's disturbing as fuck. So. Well, uh, it's actually getting a little bit later than I expected, but it's because we've all been very enchanted by this conversation. Um, yes. But, um, Mainframe, do you have any uh, last words or any ways for people to contact you um, about this and if they are interested uh, in any of your stuff? So I'll say, I'll say this. Okay, so um, I, uh, Big Any and Smalls and I run a class called Evil Mainframe. If you go to evilmainframe.com, you can pull up the, the the sort of where we're speaking. Um, unfortunately, this year I think we're all sold out. Um, we're we're going to be teaching at DerbyCon and then at Black Hat Europe. Um, I think Black Hat Europe is still there's still space. Um, we're also I'm also teaching a mini class, like a four hour workshop at uh, B Size Las Vegas. And if you're in the Netherlands, Henry Henry's going to be teaching a similar mainframe mini hacking class uh, at a conference out there. So if this is something that, that you're interested in and sort of piqued your interest and you want to come sort of learn some of these techniques or you want to actually just fuck around with the mainframe for like four hours, definitely check out those mini, those mini trainings, like the, the workshops. 
or if you want to come attend, attend the two-day training where we actually teach you how to do a real pen test and what to look at and, and sort of dig into the more. I mean, the mini class is sort of getting your feet wet, and we show you sort of like high-level like Nmap and Ossint and all that kind of stuff on the mainframe. But if you really want to come and get like two days worth of like in front, and we actually run a CTF in that class where we have points and you win a prize at the end kind of thing. So so I think I think that's the first thing thing I'll I'll, I'll push is uh is the evilmainframe.com training and then um but like the workshop like I said the Besides Las Vegas workshop goes live soon and and I implore you to sign up if this is interest you. You can reach me on Twitter at mainframed with a d 767 and it's the same on Twitter and it's the same on Gmail. Uh sorry on Tumblr and gmail and if you want to just email me i answer questions all and, nice. and do what you need to do if you're learning um now mind you like sometimes i get super like i'll get a one time i got a super sketch email from a proton mail email address that was just like i'll buy your mainframe exploits for big dollars i'm not i'm not keen on that but if you if you send me an email you want to learn or you have questions about some of the scripts and how they work i will gladly answer those questions um, we, we are always looking for new talent in this space. Um, I run a, a secret society where we, where we hang out and chat about these kind of things, present about this topic or want to present about mainframe hacking to us. We will let you into that secret society. Yeah, um, so if that's something that interests you, reach out to me. We're just really, all I'm trying to do is, is just get more talent and more awareness about the platform. All right. One last big question I got for you. Are you going to have a mainframe in your hotel room that we can come check out? Uh, yes. Fuck yes. Probably. If you, if you're missing it. I mean, I mean, if you, if I have to bring it with me to do the workshop, so just make sure it's not in a dark corner where Dan can touch it. Cause well, make sure the red buttons very well protected. Maybe. (laughs) No, you can touch the button. Don't worry. I'll let you touch the, Beautiful. This is awesome, man. This is really yeah. good stuff. Thank you so much for coming and talking to us. Well, really awesome. Thanks for having me. I'm sorry for being so so adversarial in the beginning, but you can tell I'm, I'm like super it. passionate about this and I, I really appreciate the discussion. If you're not pissed, you wouldn't give a shit. So it's Dude, that was hard. awesome. Yeah, this, is how, this is how we usually are in general, so it fits right in. It's nothing yeah. We're <laughs> super abrasive people. We're, we're terrible people. If you think we all I love mean, each other, you're wrong. So it's, <laughs> This is literally InfoSec, what you're talking about. This is just a <laughs> little car. Um, so someone did post a link to that paste bin in, in, in the chat, so in the voiceless voice chat. So if, if you want to check that out. If you read that C program and then come into my Sky Talks, because I'll explain exactly what the fuck it's doing with Drop in some zero day. Thank you very much um, for that, and we'll you know post we'll post some more uh, or you shared a lot of resources, so we'll put all this into our uh, show notes for the show episode. So uh, you guys can expect to see that tomorrow. Um, with some resources and links. So everybody here, thanks so much. Um, I'm not sure about this show for Sunday. Uh, I'm going to be at Hope, but I'm going to try to see if I can figure out uh, streaming possibilities for other people to do. Um, mm. Everybody here, uh, don't forget the Friday. If you're in New York City, come see Dark Web with us and dress up in your most ridiculous uh, movie hacker gear. Um, mm-hmm. 
is welcome. Everything is fair game. Um, everybody. And tell everybody, even if they're, even if you're not in the New York area, if you know anybody there, uh, share our status that we just posted on uh, on Twitter. And um, also next week, uh, the episode that we're going to do, I want to do an announcement tomorrow, is going to be about hacker parents and how hackers raise their kids differently. Uh, and we'll have a bunch of different perspectives and people on to talk about uh, raising their kids in this age with the mindset that we have. So no oh, shit, that's yeah. awesome. It'll be awesome. So you're up. <laughs> Hell yeah! So uh, until then, though, um, either we'll see you uh, possibly Sunday, if not Tuesday. So thanks for watching. Bye. Oh, Gibson. <laughs> <laughs>